I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to this Veterans Day special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads. Many times I am asked what are my favorite interviews that I have done here since I've been fortunate enough to interview some of the most famous and most popular people in the world. And my answer is and always will be the military veterans. I have been so honored to have the opportunity to interview so many of our nation's heroes about fatherhood and family life. So in this Veterans Day special edition collection, you will hear my interview with veterans of the Army, Navy, and Marines. And they are dads who have taken part in some of the most famous battles in recent U.S. military history. And we're going to get things started with the Army. Chief Warrant Officer 4 Mike Durant of the 160th SOAR Night Stalkers was flying a Black Hawk helicopter during the Battle of Mogadishu. He was shot down and eventually taken prisoner. His story, of course, was immortalized in the film Black Hawk Down. Next up, you will hear from First Class Father Sean Parnell, who was the captain of the infamous Outlaw Platoon, a platoon which received 32 Purple Hearts, 7 Bronze Stars, and 12 Army Commendations for Valor. Sean is a successful best-selling author who is now running for Congress. You will hear this interview, which took place on the day of his book launch for All Out War, before he decided to run, but I do ask him about it in the interview. Next, you're going to hear from two Marine dads. First, from the Medal of Honor recipient, Dakota Meyer, who fought in the Battle of Gangigal and vividly recounts his experience on Jocko Willing's podcast. Dakota Meyer had a highly publicized divorce with Bristol Palin, and you'll hear me discuss that with him in our conversation. Next up is John Tig Teagan, who served with the Marines before his involvement in one of the most controversial battles in recent memory. Tig was part of the six-man security team that was ambushed in Benghazi, and I say controversial because requests for additional security were made prior to the attack, which took place on September 11, 2012, but they were ignored by the State Department. The Battle of Benghazi was captured in the motion picture, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Finally, you're going to hear from two Navy SEAL dads. Marcus Luttrell was the lone survivor of Operation Red Wings. He joined me with his wife, Melanie. Marcus was portrayed on the big screen by Mark Wahlberg in the major motion picture, Lone Survivor. And to finish things off, we're going to hear from the frogman who killed Osama bin Laden during Operation Neptune Spear, Rob O'Neill. Now, all of these interviews were previously recorded, and you can find each individual episode by scrolling through the archives of the podcast here, but they are all gathered in one awesome First Class Fatherhood special Veterans Day collection right here, so I hope you'll enjoy it. And to all of the men and women out there listening who have served our great nation, I'd like to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you, and I aspire to live a life that is worthy of your sacrifice. God bless you all. I'm Alec Lace, and you are listening to First Class Fatherhood. Hey dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy Packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co-founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strikeforce Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save... 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeForceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. Strikeforce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD.
All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a retired Chief Warrant Officer for Combat Veteran. His awards include the Distinguished Flying Cross with the Oak Leaf Cluster, Bronze Star with Valor, the Purple Heart, three Air Medals, the Prisoner of War Medal, and many others. It is a tremendous honor for me to say, Mike Durant, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? Well, my wife and I have raised six. Uh, three of those are mine. Uh, three of those uh, I, I uh, got as part of a package deal when I remarried. The oldest is uh, 31, and they're uh, sort of clustered together there in, in their 20s, and then our youngest just turned 15. Wow, okay, yeah, that's a big uh, a big range there. I got four myself. We're only going from 13 to 5, so I got a, a little ways to go yet. We're bracing for impact here for the teenage years. <laughs> Well, I, I, we had pretty good luck with it for the most part, um, but uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of curveballs that can come your way in that time, that's for sure. Well, definitely all this uh, information I've been getting here has been helping me out, but uh, if you could, Mike, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Well, my background is I was a uh, special ops Blackhawk pilot. I spent 22 years in the military. Uh, I suppose the most uh, recognizable thing for the average person is uh, I was the guy who was shot down in Somalia at the movie Black Hawk Down is all about. And uh, I'm the real-life guy, not the actor. And uh, uh, awesome career. You know, I, I, it would take me days to talk about just, the, you know, those life experiences and, and what, what kind of an impact all that had on me. Uh, retired in 2001, and uh, that's also the same year I, I was remarried. And uh, we uh, moved to Huntsville, Alabama, where we currently live. Been here now 18 years. And uh, 11 years ago, I started my own business. So I took some of the things that uh, I learned from my experiences in life in general and in the military and applied those to a commercial venture here. And we're doing pretty well, actually. Yeah, your story is just incredible, and, I, and of course, I've obviously seen the movie, and I've read your book in The Company of Heroes, and I thought it was just, uh, you know, ph phenomenal. I'm going to get more into that in just a minute here, but how old were you, Mike, when you first became a father, and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? So, uh, first child was born one year before we deployed to Somalia, so I, I was 32 uh, when uh, my first son was born. So I've seen, you know, you, you've interviewed a lot of folks that have uh, deployed a lot and uh, uh, some special ops type uh, operators, and, and they probably have all said the same thing. When you're in that kind of a unit and you're trying to raise a family, it's a bit of a challenge because you're gone a lot, and you really have to rely heavily on uh, those around you. Obviously, if, if you are married, your, your, your spouse is critical. Um, because, you know, you're gone at a moment's notice, and oftentimes you're gone for three months, you know, in some cases longer than that. And that's really tough, especially, you know, during uh, critical times when, you know, you miss birthdays, you miss holidays, you miss school events, whatever it is. So it, it's a very, very uh, difficult challenge, and, and I think it takes extraordinary people to do it successfully, and, and it takes a village. It really does. It, it cannot be done uh, alone uh, in those circumstances. Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard me say it too on the show, Mike. It's just one of the biggest reasons why I have so much respect, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I have so much respect for all of you guys that and women that serve, just because uh, I can't imagine how hard it would be to try to balance that out between having a family and doing such a, a you know, an important and, uh, a, you know, a job that takes so much of your focus. 
and and you did you spent 11 days in captivity in Somalia. What were the children like there, Mike, as opposed to like kids here or families there? What were like the relationships between the kids and the dads that you've seen over there? So it's funny when you break people down to their basic elements, we have so much in common. You know, you would think when you first look at at Mogadishu it's like another planet really i mean for those of us who you know live here in cities of comparable size it's uh it's just completely different but once you get inside and you see how the people interact and and how children behave and you know how they play in the street it's it's all the same i did not see a lot of interaction between uh fathers and their children but you could sense that uh, you know, the family relationships were, were very similar. You know, the young people looked to the older people and elders for life lessons and mentorship and values and all the same things that, that you know, impact our youth here, impact the youth there. Yeah, very well said. And uh, did you feel comfortable letting your kids uh, see the movie when it came out? And what were your thoughts about the film? So we, we really don't talk about it. You know, it's uh, if they if they want to see it, they're free to see it. And I know some of them have and, and some of them haven't. Uh, if, they're, if they want to read the book, they're free to read the book. That, that's their decision. But we've sort of put it off on the side and, and don't really ever even talk about it. It's it's not something, you know, if they if they want to know something, I'm, I'm happy to talk to them. But it's just it's just a different phase of life and uh there's there's just so much more that occupies our time and our thoughts today that we really don't spend any time even even discussing it yeah and it must be difficult too mike i mean you've had you had a 22 year military career and and obviously you know you're most known for the uh black hawk down incident but i mean you continue to serve for so long after that what was it like for you serving in the service after that incident, was it something that always came up, or was it kind of did people respect the fact that it was like you're you're moving on from it, so they left it alone? It, it came up a lot. You know, people were constantly looking for lessons learned, and you know, because if you think about it, if you look at the timeline, that happened in '93. We didn't get involved in the global war on terror in 2001, so we had eight years where. There wasn't a lot of combat experience, and people were really looking at that mission to to pull as much as they possibly could out of it. I would I would say even today, that particular battle and you know my personal experience and the personal experience of many others there that day uh, is still scrutinized because even today, after all that's gone on in Iraq and Afghanistan, there are some unique elements there that we still need to 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 leverage and learn from. So for that eight years until my retirement, there was an awful lot of pull on all of us to try to share, you know, our perspective and try to help make the the, the military better. And I think we did. I, I've always said that there was one thing that I would say was positive about Somalia is that we had an opportunity to look at it and understand the challenges involved in fighting in that kind of an environment for eight years before, you know, we had to do it on a much larger scale in, in multiple locations, uh, and, and I think we were better prepared for the global war on terror. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And uh, getting back to you as a dad here, Mike, I mean, I've seen you speak before, uh, you know, just through watching some of your seminars there on, on YouTube and stuff like that. You're obviously very well disciplined in the military. Uh, what type of disciplinarian are you like as a father? Well, I, I I think I'm certainly a lead by example kind of father. I I 
I am absolutely uh, a subscriber of the uh, you know walk the walk mentality, and it matters much more what you do than what you say. Uh, in terms of discipline, you know, I think uh, that we've been fortunate in that we haven't had a lot of discipline problems. We we've got one outlier, but you know, it was just I consider it a phase, and and we've gotten through all that. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We one of our kids um, that uh, invited some friends to a lake house that we have, and there was alcohol involved, and we found out about it. And we had the option to come down really hard on her or uh, try to make a life lesson out of it. And and we ch- we chose to make a life lesson out of it and explain to her, hey, look, you know, this was wrong. Uh, you put us at risk. I mean, you got underage kids out here consuming alcohol. Who, you know, there's water here. There's drowning risk. There's there's driving risk. Think about all the things that you put at risk for us. When when we, you know, everything we do in our life is is built around trying to help you be successful. And we don't want this to create a a situation where you know we punish you for a period of time and create create resentment. Uh, we want you to learn from this mistake, and we, you know, we're willing to forgive you, and we want you to, you know, to say that you'll never do this again. And I think it was one of the better decisions we ever made, actually, because uh, she appreciated the the way we handled it. She learned from her mistake. It didn't happen again, and she turned into a fantastic young woman. Yeah, very cool. It's definitely one of the things that you know concerns my wife and I as our kids are just starting to hit them teenage years. And uh, and I drive Uber on the weekends, and I drive a lot of college kids around. There's a local college here, and it's from what I see, the decisions that are going on and what they're doing. It's uh, it gives me pause, and uh, you know I definitely want to make sure that I don't punish too much where they don't want to come and talk to me and be honest about what's going on. That's really, I guess, the biggest fear that I have when it comes to parenting. Absolutely, and that's the that's the risk you take if you are a little bit too harsh. I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting you don't discipline at all, but you know, it needs to be fair, it needs to be measured, and I think it, need, you know, you need to find a balance between how hard you want to come down and still protect that relationship because it is it is critical to, that you have that good communication and that relationship throughout life, through all the different phases. Which, you know, how you deal with it and and how you communicate. You know, with a four-year-old, is obviously dramatically different than than when you do when you're communicating with a 17-year-old or or a 20-year-old. Yeah, very well said. And and I read your book in the Company of Heroes, and that came out in 2003, a couple of years after the movie. Uh, were you approached to write the book, or was that something that you had planned on doing? And what was the genesis of you coming out with the book? So I, I really respected the the whole secrecy of the special operations community, and and. Uh, I wrote down some notes about the mission, uh, drafted some thoughts right after it happened, and then I put it away because I I didn't feel like it was appropriate to even consider uh, writing something uh, about operations that were so recent uh, that, you know, to me, that, that just wasn't the right thing to do. Well, after the movie came out, uh, I realized, well, I mean, Basically, the whole mission story is on the street at this point, and now you know I have sort of an individual story that uh, has not been told, and I think I can tell it and not uh, worry about you know ten years have gone by and and there, there's certainly not a lot of operational specificity that matters at this point you know ten years into the future. So I, I thought you know what 
uh, I think it's probably going to be okay to do it at this point. And I, I sought out some mentors that were senior leaders in the com- in the community, and they said, you know what, I don't think anybody's going to give you any any grief for writing a book at this point. So that's when I reached out to uh, to find a publisher and uh, an agent, and uh, uh, it was a great great experience. I, it turned out really well. I'm very proud of it, and uh, uh, I have no regrets about doing it at this point for sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a book. I, th- I think just about everybody, every American should read. I think it's a, it tells a wonderful story. And that, now, did any of your kids ever take up flying or helicopters or any other type of flying at all? So we have talked about it, and my my theory is this. I retired when they were all pretty young. And the world they know really is Huntsville, Alabama, which is an engineering town. I mean, it's it's compared to a Raleigh, North Carolina, or the Beltway I mean, the, the, there, there's just a lot of engineers here. There's a lot of aerospace, but it's not on the, it's not on the flying side. It's on the technology side. So, we've got their their interests have been more in that direction, and uh, we haven't necessarily wanted to hold them back from flying or serving in the military. But there's not really been a lot of interest from uh, any of them in doing that, and that's fine. I want them to do whatever they're interested in. Uh, you know, it's funny. Our youngest, who's now 15, I went to a parent-child. Uh, it's not space camp, which people are familiar with. It's the it's sort of the sister course at the same facility called Aviation Challenge. And if you know, listeners out there have not heard about this, look it up because it, it's a tremendous opportunity for a, a parent-child relationship building. You go there and you bunk together, and you, it's basically uh, Aviation Challenge is a mini flight school. I mean, we learned about aerodynamics. We did evasion we we flew simulators you know you you plan missions all of that it lasts about four days total and i did this with our youngest i did it with one of the girls and then i did it with our youngest michael also and uh he just wrote uh i guess it's now six years later in a in a uh, an essay for school now that he's in high school what influenced his decision to want to pursue the career he wants to pursue and my wife and I were trying to speculate about what he would pick. You know, he, he would pick, because she's a pilot also. He would pick, uh, well, you know, my parents are both pilots, so I, I got him, I, I was interested in aviation or, you know, this or that. But what he wrote about was, I went to Aviation Challenge with my dad, and I got interested in being uh, an aerospace engineer. And that's what he has wanted to be now for, you know, since we started talking about career decisions. And it's just, just really uh, rewarding, I suppose, is the right word, to to realize years down the road that that is the event in his life when he thinks back that that pushed him in this direction. And and uh, again, great program. There's lots of you know similar programs like that out there, but that one in particular is really a good one and gives you a chance to really spend some quality time with uh, with your kids. Yeah, very cool. I'll throw a link to that in the description of this podcast episode, so my listeners could just tap the link if they want to find out uh, more about it. What about like as far as um, you know, becoming a night stalker? It seems like now today, especially with the Navy SEALs being in the public, everyone writing books. Like years ago, um, not many people knew about a lot of these special operation forces, like the SEALs, like the night stalkers, and all this stuff. When did you first become aware of what a night stalker was? And was it when you were a child? How long did you really want to be that, or did that come after you joined the service and you found out? It's kind of funny. I was just thinking about this the other day, uh, and and this is the, the the actual moment when I found out about this unit. 
I was in Korea. I'd already gone to flight school. I wanted to, I wanted to fly, and I went when I was pretty young. I graduated flight school at 22. So I think back, I look at 22-year-olds now, and I don't mean to sound uh, condescending or whatever, but it just it seems young to be in charge of a military aircraft flying missions, uh, you know, in a foreign country. But but I was, and, and I, I was, I loved it. it. It was the fulfillment of a dream I'd had since I was about 14. And I was sitting in a bar with this guy who had just come from Fort Campbell, and he's talking about this special unit there that nobody's supposed to know about that is, is you know, looking for people that, you know, want to go do these uh, classified missions and work with these special units. And, and I'm like, wow. I mean, I didn't know that kind of thing existed. I, I would really, really like to know more about that. So when I got assigned to Fort Campbell, uh, the first thing I did is figure out where in the heck these guys were located. I went over there and filled out an application, and uh, and I guess you could say the rest is history. So you're right. At the time, there was not a lot of information. I mean, people knew about special forces, and people knew about Navy SEALs in general, but they, they didn't know about some of these sort of subsets within within those groups that were, you know, e- even, uh, you know, a tier, a tier up in terms of, uh, uh, the secrecy and the sensitivity of the missions and all that, and it's, uh, it's certainly something I'm proud to say I was a, I was a, a small part of and a really exciting part of my professional life. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that there's, uh, you know, a number of, of kids that have been inspired to become pilots based on your book and the movie. And obviously uh, Gary Gordon and, and Randy Sugar both were rewarded uh, posthumously the Medal of Honor after they were killed in the Somalia incident there. Uh, I know Gary had a couple of kids. I'm not sure about Randy. Do you still stay in touch with those families or anybody else that was connected to the raid? So I, I've seen the families uh, every now and then. I just saw them again uh, at Fort Bragg. Uh, I think it was about a year ago now. Uh, I was down there for uh, a memorial. And uh, no, uh, Randy did not have any kids. Uh, Gary Gary did have two, and uh, uh, they were both there, and they're, they're both doing well. Um, uh, as far as keeping in touch, you know, we tend to stay in touch more with the folks that were in our, you know, part of the operation. So I'm, I'm almost in daily contact with the, with the aviation guys. Uh, not so much, you know, some of the other units that we supported. Although, like I said, when we do a, uh, a reunion or, or whatever, I've, I've tried to go to all those. I think I've made them all, and it's uh, it's always great to see those folks and you know see uh, see how well everybody's doing. Unfortunately, we're all getting a little bit older, but, uh, you know, it's life, and, and we just got to enjoy every moment that we can. Yeah, and, and I know that right now uh, our political atmosphere is a total nightmare, but is that anything that you've ever considered throwing your hat into the political arena at all, or is that off the radar for you? Uh, you know, I'd say it's off the radar. It just doesn't suit my personality. I just can't do it. And I know that's probably the kind of people we'd say, well, that's who we want doing it, but... Unfortunately, I don't think in our system it works. I, I think you have to be, uh, you know, of a certain uh, uh, personality and, and, and value system to do it and and do and win. You know, in the end, you have to win. You could be, you know, the most honest, down-to-earth, uh, good-intentioned person in the world, but if you don't win, it doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, and, and I just don't see how I could possibly do it. I really don't. I, you know, I don't even like, I tell people, I don't even like the politics of business. I can't imagine the politics of politics. <laughs> yeah, right on with that. And what type of goals or plans do you have here for yourself in the future, Mike? Well, uh, you know, finishing up the, the job at hand, which is the family. Uh, you know, we only have one left at home, and 
he's doing well. He's the one I was just talking about that we went to uh, Aviation Challenge together. Um, he's been the easiest so far, uh, and uh, I hope we stay on that trend. Uh, the uh, you know he's he's going to be uh, off to college in, in about two and a half more years. You know, here professionally, I'm sort of targeting that same time frame to start throttling back a little bit. It's, uh, you know, I, I've been a CEO here for 11 years, and there's a lot, there, there's a lot to that. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it can be all-consuming. I, I don't think I've let it be all-consuming, but it can be, and, and it is somewhat stressful. And you got to be able to, you know, find that work-life balance. And I think my family would say that I've done that, and I've tried pretty hard to do that. But uh, you know, I also uh, you know want to have a little bit more time to enjoy the things that I like. Uh, we purchased a place in Colorado. We're planning to spend some time out there. Just love the mountains. I grew up in the mountains uh, in New England, and uh, uh, the 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 winter in Colorado is a little bit more tolerable than the winter in New England. And uh, uh, and so we plan to spend you know maybe half the year up there and climb a few mountains and keep, keep skiing and those sort of things and. Uh, and watch some grandchildren uh, grow up and come visit uh, as often as they can. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Mike, last thing I'm going to hit you with here, I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Uh, advice. Uh, I, I guess the best advice maybe uh, would come from the things that I don't do well, that that I try to do better at. I think men tend to be fixers uh, i've heard this from a couple of different folks at least about my personality that you know we 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 think uh you know a very straightforward direct uh solution to a problem will 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 solve it and we're dealing with people when we're when we're trying to be a father and and people don't always react the same way to the same thing so we need patience we need uh, understanding, we need to listen, and we need to love. And I think if you approach it in those terms, you know, the specifics don't matter. Uh, it, it, you'll, you'll find a way to be successful. But if, uh, you know, if you're overly harsh or if you uh, are not trying to have a relationship with your child, if you, uh, you know, don't prioritize it, then then it's probably not going to go well. They 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 need your leadership, they need your mentorship, they need your values uh and they need your time. And uh if you're willing to give all that, you'll be successful. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been a big honor for me. I got to say Mike Durant, you're a first class father all the way and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world's strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon 1. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon 1. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%.
All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He is a former Army Ranger, a combat veteran, a Purple Heart recipient, and a true American hero. It is a big honor for me to say, Sean Parnell, welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, it's great to be back. Second year in a row, man. Yeah, it's an honor. You are the first repeat father to join me on the podcast here. It's quite an honor. That is, that is quite an honor, man. I have watched you over the year, like, you know, bust your bust your butt to make this podcast what it is and, and it, it really is the only game in town I feel like in terms of uh, you know elevating and elevating the father the role of the father in the family and so you've just done an amazing job it's an honor to be back I love being with you and I love seeing what you're doing and I love watching you grow yeah thank you for that uh, you know I'm trying to get after it here and keep pushing the envelope uh, trying to change the narrative on fatherhood <laughs> and family life uh, how old are the kids now what grades are they heading into Okay, so Ethan, my oldest, is going into fifth grade, and he's 10. Uh, Emma is my middle. She's going into third grade, and she's eight. And Evan is my youngest. He's six, going into first grade. Their first day of school is Monday. And so you know how that is. Like, the lead up to school is just, just chaotic and crazy and haircuts. And they make got to make sure their uniforms are sized right. It's it's chaos, but it's, it's fun. It's fun to see them grow and, and you know, it's like, you know what's so crazy? Uh, you know what's so crazy, man? It's like I, I take a picture of them with me uh, before every school year, and, you know, every weekend before they start school, I go back and look at those pictures, and I'm just like, it's amazing, you know, how fast they grow uh, from one year to the next. And you hear all the time uh, people say, oh, you know, I met my grandma, man. They're like, oh, just, you know, you guys are growing up so fast. And, it's you know, it's sort of cliche, but I know why she says it now because it's true. It's like – just looking back, even just a year, it's amazing how fast kids grow, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things just about being a dad and just about being a parent. And in general, just understanding now, like, oh, now I get where my mom was coming from, where my dad was coming from. You start to get it a little more. It makes a little bit more sense. The picture becomes more clear. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And I look back and I was, I mean, I was, uh, I was a real pain. You know, I was tough on my dad. I was tough <laughs> on my mom. And 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 uh, my parents used to tell me when I was in my early twenties, like as a young army lieutenant, it's like you know, eventually you're gonna have your own kids someday. And you know, they're, hey, karma's a thing. You know, one of those kids is gonna be just like you, and is gonna hassle you, just like you hassled us. And boy, is that true? My oldest is um, he's he's all of my kids are like the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, but my oldest is really he's he's a lot like me, and <laughs> it's like he's 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 challenging. He's challenging in a good way, you know. And and it's just. It gives me perspective on what my parents were going through, uh, trying to raise me and be there for me uh, as a kid, too. So it's crazy sometimes how things come full circle like that. Yeah, well said. And, and yeah, talk about time going fast. We feel like we have all summer to get, like, the school supplies and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden it's all jammed in. Oh, wait a minute. It starts next week, you know? So man, we have to. Man, you know, that makes me mad. Like, you know, this is another thing that, like, really, really gets me going because, you know, God, man. It seems like summer gets shorter and shorter every year. My kids are going back August 26th to school. Um, and I think the year before that, it was after Labor Day, you know. And so, that, boy, doesn't this speak to something? Like, my kids probably have two hours of homework every night. And, again, you know how old they are. They're all under, they're all under 10. And so they're in school for eight hours a day. Then they come home and they do two hours of homework every night. And if they play a sport, like, they've got that on their plate, too. At what point do these kids get to just, like, sort of let their hair down and relax a little bit and be kids? You know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, changed up. Now, did your kids, did you have any uh, summer reading books that they had to do? I know I've done from Judy Moody's in a movie uh, to the Maze Runner with my guys. You know what? Uh, 
first of all, my kids, my, my daughter, she's read Judy Moody. She has their whole series, uh, The Maze Runner. Like, I am reading The Maze Runner to her now. That's something that I do every night. So when I read to my kids every night, and my daughter and I are reading The Maze Runner now, man, that's a really cool book. She really digs it. But, yeah, my oldest has – he's got some homework. He's got a book he's got to read over the summer. And, it's, and he has to not just answer, like, multiple-choice questions, but he has something like 25 – questions about the book that he has to do prior to going back to school and again i'm i'm i don't like that i wish that like i feel like in the summer these kids are so overscheduled during the school year i just wish that in the summertime they just gave the school gave a chance to relax because if they did that i feel like kids would be would would absorb information and be more motivated to learn than they are when they go back i feel like sometimes these kids go back to school and they're just utterly smoked you know yeah, um, and re- and reading to the kids is a lot more fun than reading with them. When 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 they're just learning to read, it takes a heck of a lot of patience to sit there and listen to them sound out each and every syllable. So it, uh, the books get longer and longer when you're sitting there when they're <laughs> just in the beginning. Yeah, you know it's funny, man. Like it, uh, like when my kids were young and still learning to read, uh, one of the, that was my big thing. Like you know, I want them to read me a book. You know, you hear so often about how oh, parents read to their kids every night and how it's important, and it absolutely is. It really is. Um, but I, you know, when my kids were learning to read, it was like, Hey, you're going to read to dad tonight, you know? And what's cool is that sort of became our battle rhythm, so to speak. You know, we'd get home, they'd get home from school, they'd relax, like they'd go and get into the bedtime routine. And at first it was them reading to me until they were really comfortable with reading. And then it was them picking on a book that we would read together. And so, um, you know, I, I selfishly, like, you know, my kids, like, I feel like too, they're not excited to go back to school. I mean, they might be excited to go back and see their friends on a, on a regular basis, but I feel like every kid's kind of like, ugh, when they got to go back to school. But I am excited because, you know, it gets us back on that routine where we're reading together every night and spending quality time together every night. Like, the summer just is chaotic, man. I mean, I feel like you're all, all over the map in the summer all the time, so it'll be nice to get things settled back down again for the school year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, 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 my wife and I feel the same way here. At least it brings a little bit more structure. It's like a free for all, like you said there in the summertime. Anything goes. It is for sure. All right. Well, talking about books today is a big day for you as an author. It's the second Eric Steele novel. It drops on us today. All Out War. Uh, it's a follow up to what was just really a, a kick ass fictional debut for you with Man of War. What can you tell us about All Out War, and where can we find it? Well, I mean, so you can buy All Out War anywhere books are sold, and I would greatly appreciate it if you did. You know, I mean, anytime I sell a book, it helps support my family. So, and that's what I do for a living. Um, but, you know, uh, this book, I think, is, is more, it's, it's a little bit more like everybody can pick it up and read it. It's less of a military thriller and more of a mainstream thriller. Um, you know, my first book, Eric Steele, the book starts off with Eric Steele in Beirut, and then he's, he's in Syria, he's in Tunis, he's all over the world. This book, his, he, he's all over the world as well. Uh, but he gets, he, Eric Steele gets attacked at home and his mother gets hurt. So it, it's like sort of something that we can all identify with. You know, you know, we all have, a, you know, to a certain extent, we all have a mom, right? And, and so, you know, I feel like the, you know, these books for me, you know, are an opportunity to just, uh, reason why they're important to me is they're an opportunity to continue to capture the legacy of my soldiers. At first, I did it without Law Platoon, just trying to get their story on the page, right? And then, um, over time, I just realized how few Americans are connected to people who serve, right? And there's something to those who raise their right hand and volunteer to serve. It's like about putting country before yourself, putting your family uh, before yourself, putting so many things, serving something greater than yourself. And so, you know, I just felt called to write a character, a main character, a hero uh, that embodied those qualities, man. And so, you know, I, I wanted kids to be able to read read these books and and 
know what it means to serve something greater than yourself, understand, you know, what makes American warriors tick, duty, honor, country, selflessness, loyalty, integrity. All those things are so important. Uh, but I also think that all those things are lacking in mainstream entertainment today, you know. And so that's what you get when you get these books. You get, it, you get an awesome story. The hope is, is that, you know, read an action-packed, cool, fun story, but you also get a hero that, that you can be comfortable that if, if your kids are going to read, you know they're going to come away learning the right things. And so I, I think that's important, you know? Yeah, and we definitely, you're right, we definitely need those characters right now. We need those stories in our country, especially for our young, uh, you know, men and women together here. And, you know, I read Outlaw Platoon and Man of War, and it's almost, Outlaw Platoon in many ways it seems almost more unrealistic than Man of War. It's just <laughs> insane what, what, what happened there. Um, is Outlaw Platoon or is the Eric Steele, uh, I know I've seen a few people ask you this on social media, um, is there anything in the works to turn either Outlaw Platoon or um, Man of War, the, the Eric Steele series, into a movie or a TV series? Yes, yes, there is on both accounts, you know, both Outlaw Platoon and, and Eric Steele and the Man of War franchise, the Eric Steele franchise, are being looked at by, you know, producers out in Hollywood, out in L.A., but, you know, it's treacherous, it, it's, that process is so long, so painstaking. It's like, it's one of those things, man, that you have to like knock on the door until your knuckles bleed. And if the door doesn't open, you have to kick it in. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be patient and allow things to develop. And so Outlaw Platoon has been out for six years. It's with, it's, it's in good hands right now. Uh, and we're trying to see if we can make it into a miniseries. And I think Eric Steele, you know, it, that's that's better formatted to do you know be on the big screen so hopefully hopefully we get some bites on that stuff soon because like i said man like i really think it's important i mean you see the same things over and over again in hollywood like you see things like regurgitate like like macgyver was on when i was a kid macgyver's a show now you have hawaii 50 on when i was a kid now hawaii 50 is on again you're seeing jurassic park when i was a kid and you're seeing it rebooted on the big screen it's like sometimes i feel like you know, Hollywood is, is a copycat culture. They want to regurgitate things that have already been done because they're already existing brands that people are familiar with. But at the same time, I think America is craving new content, you know, which is why places like Netflix and Amazon are crushing it right now because that's what they're doing. They're giving us new stories, new characters, new content. So hopefully we can get, you know, Eric Steele on the big screen with a new, with a new fictional hero out there for, that our kids can watch and be proud of. Yeah, and, and what's happened here with a lot of these things, Sean, is like you, you see the, the regurgitated uh, same series with, with definitely better uh, special effects and graphics, but the storylines are just uh, not up to par. They was, the storylines were so much better years ago, but the graphics kind of failed. If they could just match those two things up together, I think they'd really have something. Oh, oh, I totally agree. And, you know, something that, something that I think is really important as well is, is our, kids, our kids need to be able to clearly differentiate between what's right and what's wrong. You know, it, it, everything in our culture today, the waters are so muddy, you know, ki kids with the whole concept of moral relativism, it's like, you know, it, it's hard for them to know, I feel like in many ways, what's right and what's wrong, you know, and I feel like it's our job as parents to help them understand that. But we also learn that uh, what's good and, and what's evil through fictional stories and movies, you know, when we were growing up, like, it, you know, when you, if you watch Disney movies, and I'm sure you have, if you have kids, if you have kids Growing up, you watch Disney movies, and you know, say for example, you watch The Lion King or something like that. You know, the bad guy in The Lion King is Scar, right? Well, who who's the bad guy in Finding Nemo? You know, there is no bad guy in Finding Nemo. The bad guy is like some high concept. It's the journey, right? The, the father's journey to find his son, and and I think that's laudable and that's a cool story and everything. 
but at the same time, our kids aren't really learning through the, that sort of mainstream entertainment, good versus evil, you know? And for God's sake, man, when we were growing up, it was like, what were the big cartoons back then? There was E-Man, there was um, uh, Thundercats, there was all these big cartoons that we had back then. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, good and evil, clearly differentiated, right? Today we don't have that, and that concerns me a little bit. And so that's also, you know, again, something that I'm trying to put into these books, to clear, clear diff- a clear line between good and evil and, and, and why it's important for kids to be on the side of good, you know? Yeah, definitely. And even even the, the basic things for the kids, like I know they have the movie coming out with Tom Hanks about Mr. Rogers. And uh, I was showing my kids the preview. They, they, they've never heard of Mr. Rogers. We don't have things like that, those kind of uh, fun educational things where he used to talk about things like how a child could be just so anxious and overwhelmed by just as simple as getting a haircut. You know, and we, yes. we're throwing them into these things that are like way over their head sometimes. Yo, it's so true. It's so true. You know, I mean, it's funny. Like, I watched Mr. Rogers. In fact, Mr. Rogers is a is a, a Latrobe guy, you know, a Western Pennsylvania. Now, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, he's a Latrobe guy from Western Pennsylvania. And so I, I used to watch him as a kid growing up all the time. Just small lessons about how 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 living your life and putting others first is the core of living a meaningful life. And I feel like as parents, part of our job, our duty and responsibility is teaching our kids to be selfless and teaching our kids to always put other people first, you know, uh, because again, doing that leads to meaning in regard, it leads to meaning in everything that you do, whether you, it, you know, and what, what I always try to talk to my kids, especially my oldest, is that like your career, whatever your career, whatever you decide it is that you want to do is not your calling. It's important to figure out what's, what you love, what you're passionate about, um, figure out what your calling is before you figure out what your career is and figure out if there's a way that you can braid them both together because really that's the pathway to a meaningful life. And so, and this, this circles back to something that I was talking, what we've been talking about, man, is that I don't think that there is a moral component to mainstream entertainment today. I don't. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a book, a fiction book, that you can give to your kids, they can pick up and read, and, and, you put the, and you'd feel comfortable with, the, hey, you know, the, this book is teaching my kids you know, a value system that will help them be successful, generous, and selfless in life. You know, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that there's much out there right now in, in the terms of fictional books uh, that you can give your kids and feel comfortable that they'll do that. Um, and so I know that, you know, with, I know my books will do that. I mean, I've made it a mission of mine to make sure that those value systems are embodied by the hero. Uh, but at the same time, they're, they're, I think they're cool stories, man. I think they're cool, fun stories, you know? And so, um, you know, hey, you know, that's the dream, right? That's that's the goal is to try to get the, these books into the hands of, of the next generation to try to influence them to, uh, you know, make the right decisions and be better than we were, right? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, Sean, I think we see the impact in our society from this. we just seen over the summer here, uh, Baltimore came into the news, and everyone was trying to uh, point the finger out why Baltimore is doing so bad, why some of these cities, and they talk about the politics, the economy, all this stuff, but they don't mention the, the fact that in Baltimore alone, there's 70% of the teenagers there have no father in their life. Uh, and and, we're, and we're, where we see this fatherless problem, we're seeing all the crime. We're seeing the teenage pregnancies, the drug use. It's running rampant. As the fatherless percentage goes up, so do all those other things. And what, what really bothers me about this is, is our leadership's failure to identify that as a problem. You know, um, Our leaders on both sides of the aisle uh, have really – really haven't tackled, you know, fatherless families, uh, really even haven't identified it as a problem. But you're absolutely right that, you know, there is a direct correlation between crime 
drug use uh, in fatherless families. The, the, the importance of the role of the father in a family cannot be understated, you know, and you're seeing the fallout of fatherless families in places like Baltimore, as you said. But what bothers me, again, is that our politicians just don't tackle it because it's a very complex problem to deal with. Yeah, and I think I think the the, the root the way to change this stuff is just like you're saying to have more of an influential uh, dominance in stories, in books, and in movies, and in the media about celebrating the father character in the household, the father oh, character's it, role in the society. It drives me crazy. Look, what pick out any sitcom that you want. I mean, any sitcom that you see, the father will almost always be some bumbling idiot who's uninvolved. Right, and the Al Bundy type. Yeah, the and it, yes, yes, yes. Great. Well said. Exactly. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And it bothers me because it makes the father's role in the family seem unimportant. And, and, and that, the, the truth of the matter is the exact opposite is true. Um, and, you know, truthfully, the father's role is important, but also the father's role in conjunction with the mom is also important. So have, showing, showing an uninvolved father, though, is something that really bothers me because you, you almost never see – you almost never see – a mom portrayed in mainstream entertainment as, you know, an Al Bundy type. You almost never do, right? Um, And so this is why I appreciate so much of what you're doing because, you know, it's it's about elevating the role of the father. It's about showing how important fathers are to kids. And and in terms of being a good husband and being a good father, it's it's, it's really, really, really important. I was going to say, too, on the flip side of that, too, Sean, is is not only are we not seeing the, the, the father portrayed as a strong character, we're seeing the single guy as the guy that you want to attain to be, the guy who's sleeping with multiple women, the guy who's got no responsibility. They're making that the attainment of the male role. Yeah, you know, it is, it is so true, man, how, how, how they, they make it seem like a man, that, a man that almost abandons their family or is the rogue operator, the bad boy, is, is what is desirable. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is, is you and I both know that's not true. And, and see – this is why this is why it's so important uh, for fiction and mainstream entertainment to tackle this problem because fathers play a critical role in the family, uh, a, a stabilizing role in the family, and fathers can have a profound impact on the lives of their kids. And and and, and right now we just we just don't see that in mainstream entertainment. And and what's what's funny is is that um, there are some shows like. You know, Home Improvement, growing up, that show was wildly popular. And now Tim Allen, I can't remember, I think he's in a show called, what, Last Man Standing or something like something that? Something like that, yeah. Where the role of the father is actually, he's actually a good father, he's involved. And it's like the number one show in the country in that, in that demographic on that network, right? And so the desire to see fathers in, in, in families in traditional roles is there. It's just that Hollywood and mainstream entertainment doesn't give it to us, right? So... I think the desire is there. People, I think people want to see it, but I, don't, I think that I think that Hollywood and the people that are de- developing and designing these and creating these stories aren't giving it to us. Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely a thirst for it. And, and let me let me bring it back, uh, you know, to your book here, All Out War, your second fictional book. Do you feel uh, more comfortable now with the process, developing the characters? What was the the writing experience like the second go around as opposed to the first? Oh my gosh! It, it you know each story presents its own unique challenges. And the first story, I just remember with Man of War, I just didn't know if I could get it done. You know, halfway through, I'm like, oh my gosh, it feels like I'm climbing Mount Everest here. Uh, you know, but I ended up putting my nose to the grindstone, get 
grindstone, getting that story done. And then it was met with some success. So I got an opportunity to write another one. And so I knew that I wanted to write a simpler, tighter, faster story. And that's what I did in All Out War. But man, I got to tell you, man, it, it, every stories are just so, it's so hard to tell a good story. You know, it's an art form in and of itself. And so it was challenging, but I think in many ways better than the first book, you know, because it's, it's more, I think it's more engaging. I think it's, uh, mainstream readers be able to pick it up and identify with the main character more, um, you know, because you get to meet his mom and his mom's a core part of the story. And, you know, we all have a mom. And so, and so, yeah, I, the goal, I guess, as a writer is to get better every time. You know, I think that all out war is better than man of war. And I think people, you know, the reviews so far of all out war, I mean, are better than man of war. And it's just like, you know, I just hope that with each story that I write, this gets better and better and better. You know, and so fingers crossed. I hope people enjoy it. I think that they will. Um, and like I said, I'm in the process of writing a third steel book now, too, which is just crazy, you know. So um, you don't get much of a break as a writer, especially when you're put turning these books out one a year. Um, so but like I said, the hope is just the hope is just, you know, every story you get a little bit better each time. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Sean, I can only imagine, I mean, just uh, no, just from doing the podcast here while having kids, uh, trying to do something creative uh, and structured, like writing the book, do you ever get to the point where, like, you, your head is in a space where you want to take the story, and then the kid's like, hey, Dad, and then you got to go do something with them, and then you, you lose that spot? Does that happen to you as the writer? It happens all the time. Look, it's really, it's look, it's like when you're sitting down at a computer, right, your kids don't really know what you're doing, especially when they're little, little, you know, it's not like Dad's out there cutting the grass, you know? Um, where, where the kids can actually see them uh, um, occupied with something. So, but absolutely, you know, if the kids, especially during the summer, if I'm home and I'm not traveling because I travel to probably 50 speaking engagements a year, um, you know, my kids are like, hey, let's, you know, dad, can you come do this? Can you come play? Come look at this video game or come outside and play catch with me. I almost always put the story down, stop the writing process and drop what I'm doing to play with them because I think that, you know, looking when as they grow and they look back on their life, those are going to be the things that they remember. I think that their kids are going to remember, like, hey, my dad always made time for me. You know, I came before my dad's work. So any time that I can, like, any time, you know, if I'm not on a serious deadline and I can feasibly just, you know, stop the writing process, get out and play with the kids for a little bit, you know, I do it. You know, because the writing can always wait. The, the work can always wait. You know, the, the kids, though, like, they grow up fast. And I want to make sure that I'm there for them when they're young and they need me the most, you know, because I want them to look back on, I want them to look back on their life with me and think that I always put them first, you know. On the flip side of that too, like I want to be at a point later down the line where I look back and I'm, and I don't feel as if though I missed out on the opportunities with my kids as well, you know, looking at it from that point too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent, you know, you know, my kids, they're not going to be outside. They're not going to be this age forever. You know, I mean, my oldest, Ethan, I mean, he's he's on his way to adolescence, and pretty soon he's probably not going to think I'm all that cool of a guy, you know. <laughs> he's probably going to start rebelling against me pretty soon. And so I feel like you only get one crack at your kids, like, being there for them when they're young, you know, and showing them that you're willing to listen to them unconditionally. And you have to set that tone when they're little so that they feel comfortable talking to you about challenging things when they're adolescents. And so – Hell yeah, man. Like, I, I don't want to look back and think that I missed a second with them. Um, and I, I also want them to look back and, and, and know that I always had their backs when they needed it. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And how about now we talk about them getting older. What, what age would be comfortable with you 
uh, for the kids to read either Man of War and All Out War and then uh, even Outlaw Platoon? What, what age do you think you'd want them to be before they read the books? Well, I think you can. I think kids can read Outlaw Platoon from age 12 on. You know, it's a pretty no-holds-bar story, but, but it's true. It's history, you know. So, there's. I mean, for me, it's an educational thing. It's historical. It's accurate. It's real. So, it's not like just gratuitous violence for violence sake. So, you know, Outlaw Platoon is being, you know, assigned in school districts all around the country for reading, you know, in history classes. So I feel like kids can pick it up and read it from 12, 13 years old. I think Man of War, you know, um, you know, 13, 14 years old, easily. I mean, you could easily read it. Like my main character, like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't drop any F-bombs or do anything like that. You know what I mean? He's just a good example. And so, you know, I mean, those, the stories themselves can be sort of no holds bar, you know, um, but I feel like 13 years old is is plenty old enough to read those books. Okay, very cool. And, and I'll tell you what, obviously the political scene we have in our country is a nightmare here. But I'm <laughs> glad to see I'm glad to see so many veterans are now getting involved, throwing their hat into the ring. Is there is that any possibility for you to ever get into that realm, or is that something that's way off your radar? You know, pe- people have asked me about it, man. You know, and the thing is, is that like what I always tell people is that. I don't need a, a title, whether it's a rank in the military or a political title to serve this country. You know, I'm going to continue advocating for what I believe is best, uh, the best, best path for this country. Like I took an oath to protect and defend it, defend the constitution. And I always will do that. Um, as far as what the future holds running for any sort of political office. I mean, you know, I try to move through life without blinders on man. So, um, if I'm not going to write off anything, I mean, if, if, if I get the opportunity to run for a political office and if it's the right thing for my family, you know, um, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll consider doing it. But right now it's like, I got three little kids that, that I need to be involved in their lives every day. You know, if I run for a political office and I end up becoming a congressman or something someday, I'd see them like two, three days a week, you know, and that's right now, it's just, it's not acceptable to me. So I've got to be there for them first. Um, but if I get the opportunity down the line, who knows, man? Uh, although, although I have to say the idea of like being in Congress or running for the Senate does make me sick to my stomach because I feel like the moment you're elected, you're almost part of the problem. And so that's why I always <laughs> say, man, that's why I always say like I can serve the country. I can advocate for the things that I believe in and what I believe is best for the country without a title. And I'll always continue to do that. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, all right. And, and All Out War drops today here. What type of uh, appearances are you going to be making? Anywhere we could be uh, uh, seeing you coming up soon here? Yeah, well, you could probably you could probably go back and stream my appearance on Fox and Friends, and then I'll probably be on Martha McCallum later in the week. Um, and you can look at me. Like I'll be on a couple other podcasts and stuff. You check my social media. You know, at, on Twitter at official, uh, 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 Sean Parnell USA, Instagram official Sean Parnell, and you can check me out on Facebook. And all my appearances will be there. Okay, very cool. And I'm going to include a link in the description of this podcast episode so my listeners can just tap the link, get over there, grab a copy. I do see you have that TK dedication book. Is that something special there? Are we going to let the cat out of the dog with that or what? So the dedication the dedication for All Out War is to anyone that's ever donned a uniform in defense of this country. Uh, our military and first responders, the book All Out War is dedicated to you. Oh, okay, very cool. All right. Uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, Sean, I, I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast. This is your second go around, so uh, we'll see what you got here. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? You know, just be there for your kids. You know, right now, like, like your kids need you now more than ever as a father, and you need to be, you need to be active uh, and not detached, involved and not detached. And so, 
you know, don't be afraid, you know, to sit down and talk to their children. Really talk to and develop a relationship with your kids. Uh, talk to them about what they love, what they hate, you know, what they're afraid of. Um, what, you know, it's just developing a relationship with your children is everything. You don't get a second crack at it. So work just as hard on that. Work just as hard on developing a relationship as you would in your job. And I feel like if you do that, it'll pay off dividends, uh, you know, 10, 20 years down the line as you watch your kids grow. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor to have you back on the podcast here, Sean Parnell. You're a first-class father, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of time on first-class fatherhood. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate being back, and hopefully we'll be back for a third year. Yeah, hey, I'd be honored to have you back for a three-peat here. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I'll be right back with a couple of closing thoughts in just a second here. Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with combat flags. Combat flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. Joining me now, First Class Father, Dakota Meyer. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? So I've got two kids. Um, I've got a, actually one just turned, Atlee turned two yesterday, and then uh, I've got a three-year-old as well. She's three and a half now. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, i got four myself there. i got three boys and a girl. Um, did, did, you do any, uh, did you guys do a gender reveal to find out what you were having, or did you guys wait till the end? You know, I can't really say that I ever had a traditional, like, uh, a traditional, I guess you would call it, like, uh, was part of a traditional pregnancy, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, but, um, no, actually, but Atlee was a, it's a, it's kind of a, a cool story, people are surprised about it, Bristol didn't want to know, we, we, she's like, I don't want to know, like, don't know the gender, I'm like, well, I want to know, right, so I stood over next to the doctor and found out what it was, and I knew probably four months before she even had a clue. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's that's got to be difficult to hold that in. Oh, yeah. You talk about some tension. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Just for maybe the one or two people that don't know here, Dakota, if you could just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah. So I was a um, – so I served in the Marine Corps. I was a, uh, a Marine Corps sniper, got out, and then I served in Iraq and Afghanistan, got out, and um, – you know, I own my own companies, do a lot of consulting. I have a company called Flipside Canvas where we put out canvas prints. I've got a brand called Own the Dash that's, uh, you know, it's all about empowering people to be the best them and to realize this, how incredible that they are. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of it. i got two daughters, I, I, um, Atlee and Sailor, and, yeah, that's about it. All right, very cool. Yeah, and I love to get the perspective on dads here, too, because in my opinion, there's like an attack in this country on, on family life, on fatherhood, on masculinity. Yeah. Uh, so how, how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life, Dakota? You know, I, 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 I mean, it changed everything. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's all, I mean, it, it's a whole different, it would be, 
I think it will be equivalent to you looking at the world from standing on the ground to all of a sudden looking at the world from out from the from the space station, right? Like I think that that's that that is probably still an understatement of how much it changed my world. Um, you know, it taught me. I mean, the number one thing I always like to talk about is it taught me what love was. I mean, it taught me what true love was. It taught me what forgiveness was. It taught me what empathy was. Um, I mean, it taught me a lot of that. And, and, and the other part of it was that it, it taught me to grow up and 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 how to be a perspective of how to be a man. Um, you know, I, I I understand. You know, you're talking about <clears throat> these attacks on you know fathers and things like that. But I I got to be honest with you, like. You know, men have got to take the responsibility for this. Um, and I, I'm going to say this in a lot of ways that, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear it. And I'm not speaking for everybody. But I'm going to say that, that a lot of men or the men who are representing men out there, the fathers, they're not really fathers. You know, they're doing the minimum. They're doing what society allows them to do instead of fighting to be a father, right? And I'm going to tell you an example. You know, the... The typical standard schedule for a father, because society has has set this standard that should it's so messed up. But I mean, what? It's every other weekend, right? Every other weekend, an extended schedule in a, in a pro father state of Texas is every other weekend and every fifth weekend as well, right? This is the standard to be a father. A father is a fifty percent role, fifty fifty. And so, for any father out there who doesn't go and fight for that part of it, like, what are you doing, really? Like, are you, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, society is kind of, it's both sides of it, but fathers have the responsibility to take back and fight for what's ours, and that's to be the father. Yeah, 100%, Dakota, and, and a lot of times, two things I think, I hear a lot, I drive Uber on the weekends, and I hear a lot, I, I think the way that dads are just portrayed in society, in movies and TV, these guys go into it with this wrong mindset of that fatherhood's going to destroy their life, it's a, my life's going to suck now. Having a kid is the end of the world. So they go into it with that mentality. And then on the other side of it, um, we always, it seems like whenever there's a divorce, we always value the mom a lot more than the dad. But when we look at the stats of children that are growing up without a father figure in the home, you quickly find out that the dad is just as equally important in the child's upbringing. 100%. I mean, I, I mean if you want to get into the bigger perspective of, of my belief of this, I think that's why you see society the way it is, right? I think that's why you see um that's why you see the, the 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 way that things are, and it's because men are leaving, men are men are getting divorced, men are you know men are men are not staying around, they're not staying in to 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 build the family, to be there to be that rock, and so women are having to go out and having to take the men's roles. Women are having to go out because they don't, I mean, they don't know if the man's going to be there or not. They don't know if the man's going to be there and be the child's father. You know, the mother always gets stuck with the kid ninety nine ninety nine percent of the time. The father chooses whether he's in the child's life. How messed up is that? Yeah, How messed yeah. up is that, right? Like, you don't – I'm not saying this is for every situation, but what I'm saying is is that if men want – if they're tired of seeing the way that society is treating them and the way that society is attacking them, they need to step up and be men, and they need to consistently be men, and that's being an honorable person. That's being a, somebody who keeps their word. That's being somebody who protects his wife, who values his wife, who respects his wife. You know, society has got us to where we don't, you know, where we, we glamorize women we, we, in the wrong ways. We go after them for the wrong ways. It's all about sex, and it's all about, you know, 
of, uh, you know, all this, it's all this, it's, it's the wrong, we've got our priorities on the wrong stuff. And until we start taking over and start showing the world that we're not, that, that the Harvey Weinsteins and, and that all these people out there who are doing these, the Dan Bilzerians, all these people aren't what, 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 what represent us as men, we're going to continue to have this problem. Yeah, it, it, it is a big problem. But I'll tell you one thing, Dakota, since I started this podcast, I've been gotten hit up by dads from all over the country, and there's, there's a lot of dads out there that feel this same way, and their voices aren't being heard. Like, they're sick and tired of the whole yeah. every, kid that, every kid deserves a trophy philosophy. Yeah. They're against all of this stuff, but their voices aren't being heard. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, that's why you're doing the podcast, right? I mean, I, 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 and I didn't understand it until I had to do it, until I was in that situation. I had no idea, right? I mean, I had no idea until I was in that situation. And some of these fathers, it's because they become fathers at such young age. I couldn't imagine becoming a father at 18, 19, 20 years old of the 20-year-old Dakota, right? I mean, I was fortunate I didn't become a father until I was 27 years old. So I'd already gone through a lot. I'd already seen a lot of, of life. I'd already... And, and and you know what? At the end of the day, you're right. When you have kids, guess what? It ain't about you anymore. Your life does change. You ain't going to go out and party. You're not going to go out and just do whatever. But that's part of ha- being an adult, right? I mean, that's part of having responsibilities. That's part of, 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 of being able to have the most beautiful thing on earth, and that's children, and being able to do that. I mean, that's just part of it. Like, you have to give and take. But if you're not willing to to put in the time, then I always say, then don't do the crime. Yeah, well said. And, and, and you know what? That's one thing about about the veterans, about yourself there. You guys have this, um, you know, I had a bunch of Navy SEALs and other, uh, you know, warriors on the show here. And it's like, you guys get that kind of mentality already with the, um, you know, putting somebody ahead of yourself, service before self mentality. But mm-hmm. for civilians like me, the first time I ever experienced anything like that in my life was through fatherhood. And it was a big eye-opener for me to actually find out what it was like to put somebody or love somebody much more than I do myself. Yeah, and it, but, but I mean, I, I mean but, but, but here's, what's, here's what people don't get, right? And I think this is what's not portrayed enough is, yeah, it's hard. I mean, gosh, I mean, you, you know. I mean, how hard is it? I mean, there's days that you're, like, just trying to get to lunch, right, trying to get to, to bedtime, and you're like, holy shit, I got to do this again, right? But, but tell me this. How many times have you came in having a bad day and, 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 and it's been a shit day, but you come in and the love that they give you, that the excitement that they are to see you no matter what, what does that do for you? Yeah, the, the, the prize is delicious for sure. Uh, you know, and I got two sick kids home with me today. That, you know, this schedule is always constantly changing. Uh, you know, there's always a little uh, different unexpected fork thrown in the road here. But, I mean, that's all part of it. And I think if you just change the way you look at things, the things you look at start to change. Yeah, of course. I mean, you just you put, change your priorities. I always talk about life, like when your life's out of whack and, and your life, like you can't, like you, you ever notice how if you put a camera on autofocus, it never focuses on what you want it focused on? You, you yeah. ever notice that? Like you put yeah. that box and you put it on autofocus? Like you can't put your life on autofocus. It has to be on manual focus. You have to choose the priorities that, that, that your life is on. Like you have to choose that. And at any point that you get lazy and you don't, consciously choose what your priorities are and focus that lens, well, then it's going to auto-focus and your priorities are going to be off. And that's usually where I tell people to start when they have a lot of chaos in their life. Yeah, very well said. And uh, I know you went through a divorce very publicly. Uh, what, were, what, were the, what were the biggest challenges for you being a dad going through all that? 
Well, I mean, no, I mean, you know, the same thing as anybody else. I mean, I was getting beat down left and right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so easy because of the man before us that set the standards so low. It's so easy for, I mean, a mom walks in court and, and, and she doesn't have to fight to prove she's a mother, but you have to prove every single day that you're a father. Like a mother, I, a mother doesn't have to, I mean, you try to take a kid from a mother, and I'm, I'm Bristol by no means. I'm not. I'm not trying to say this in, in any way. Br- Bristol's an incredible mother. But what I'm saying is, is when you walk into the court system, you walk in to fight a custody battle. The mother doesn't have to prove anything. The father has to prove and gain every single inch of the time that he's going to get with his children for the rest of their life. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's why we're seeing, I mean, so so many dads with the money it costs, the humiliation that they have to go through. It, it, some guys just have enough, and they're doing all this for maybe a one every, every other weekend, and, and sometimes these guys just throw their hands up, and that's a I think adds to this fatherless problem that we have in our country. And I think that compared with the fact that they've taken God out of everything in our society, I think those two factors alone, if we could improve them, we'd see well, drastic changes in our society. Well, I agree. But you know what? Like, the only people who are going to improve both of them are men fighting. And I have no empathy for someone who's like, well, I just I, I didn't want to waste the money for every other weekend. I have no empathy. I was willing to give my life being paid about 800 bucks a month for people yeah. who didn't even know me. I was willing to give a lot more than money for this world and this nation. So I don't have any empathy for a father who comes in and says, ah, you know, I don't have the money. Well, you know what? If you're sitting at home and you're not working five jobs to spend every dollar to fight for your child, then what are you doing? Then what are you doing? If, if your child, if your own blood isn't worth fighting for, then what the fuck in your life are you going to fight for? Yeah, uh, I think it's the only thing in life that's worth fighting for, to be honest uh-huh. with you. A hundred percent, right? What are you going to fight for? What are you going to fight for? I would walk to work. I promise you. And I made this statement to my attorney when we started going through the divorce. And he said, you know, look, here you're probably going to get an expanded standard, extended standard, which is every other weekend and the fifth weekend. And I told him, and I'll quote myself, I said, I will be broke living on in a cardboard box on the streets of Austin, Texas, or wherever my kids are, before I stop fighting for anything less than 50% of my kids. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the spirit that if we had that and all the men in this country, boy, it will be a major difference in our entire culture. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's going to take all of us. But the problem is, is that just like you said, it's like, well, society lets us do this. Society says this. You know what? Like, like, Look, I'm proud of women for fighting. I'm proud of women for standing up for what what's right and saying, look, I'm proud of all this Harvey Weinstein stuff of, you know what, we're not going to take this shit anymore. We're not going to take in the workplace of being disrespected anymore. We, I'm proud of them for fucking standing up. But guess what? Why are we not standing up? Why are, yeah. we, why are we not standing up? Well, we're going to just sit back. And, and you know why? When I hear somebody say, well, it's just going to cost so much money. I always think in my mind, it's like, well, you weren't going to be a good father anyways. Because guess what? Just the fight, the fight in court, the money part is the easiest part of this whole, the whole part of it. The hard part is showing up and being there every single day. 
And I think that's another one of these things that society has put in our brains here where we value the money more than we value uh, certain things in life. And I, I put this towards the kids that I teach, like, uh, in school. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, if Bill Gates walked in here and offered a half a billion dollars, who would want it? And they all raised their hands. And I said, well, if he says the only thing you got to do is take both of your eyeballs out and donate them, would you be willing to take it? And they say no. And I said, well, you're already walking around with something worth more than the half a million. So it's like it, it, we put the value on the money instead of what's really important in our lives. And I think that's been planted in us from the beginning. Well, it has. And that's society, right? I mean, it's all, it's all what's next. I mean, that's this commercialization of everything, right? I mean, look at Christmas. Look at every holiday, birthdays. I mean, look at all this stuff. It's all commercialization. And it's all about money. It's all about the things we have. It's all about comparing what's next, the hot commodity, the hot item. Instead of just sitting here and valuing each other, instead of valuing each other. And I'm telling you, social media and these phones, like the phones have done nothing more than disconnect us even more from each other, right, of, of, this, of, of making sure that we don't have to have empathy for people hurting, right? You can't feel somebody hurting on the other side of a text message. You can't see people hurting on the other side of a text message. And so it causes disconnect, this disconnect between people of, of having empathy and suffering because now society's turned suffering and suffering of, of other humans into reality TV and entertainment. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's terrible. Our whole society is just, it's off right now. And until we stand up and we start living what we say we want, then we're going to continue to see what's been happening in the last few years happen. Yeah, and I, I never had any social media accounts myself until I started this podcast last year, and it's just amazing to see uh, what goes on on there, especially on Twitter. It's just like such a place of negativity. I don't know why anybody would be on there if they're not selling something, because uh, it's just a shit show on there. I mean, it is. It is, because guess what? It's an easy place for people to beat each other down. It's always easier to be negative than it is to be positive. I mean, there's plenty of shit to be negative about in life, but there's also plenty of stuff to be positive about in life. But it's easier to choose. I always tell people, society right now, everybody's trying to out-victimize each other. Like, who could be the victim more? Yeah, yeah you're right about that. Um, all right, well, listen, obviously, you know, you, you're a Medal of Honor recipient here. You, you, you've battled with PTSD. How has the uh, PTSD, how does, the, does, that, does having kids, being a dad while going through this stuff, does that help you or hurt you more with the PTSD? I mean, it's actually helped me. I mean, you know, my kids are my, they're my, I, I call them the good kryptonite, right? Like my kids are are what what keep me grounded. They're what keeps me going. They're they're they they're a priority. Like I could never have put in my life without them. And so you know they, they've helped me out a lot. I mean they've gave me focus of of what really matters, of what what really does matter at the end of the day. So you know and and, and they've also made everything that I've gone through worth it. So no matter how bad it is today, no matter how bad I'm still going through the stuff, like I still have them to look at every single day to know it's worth it. And so. You know, it's helped me. I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously, you know, when I struggle, it makes it a little bit harder. But I mean, they're always they're 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 the best thing for me. Yeah, yeah, well said. And what about how does your bedtime routine look like with the girls, uh, Dakota? Are you a storyteller, a lullaby guy? How does bedtime go down in your home? However they want to do it. Usually, we go we do a shower or a bath, and then um, and then we'll we'll sit. I have a chair, and so we'll sit there and watch TV until it's time for bed, and then. Uh, we'll go upstairs and read a book and go to bed. All right. And how about uh, I know they're very young yet. Are you? How about disciplining the girls? Are you a spanker, a timeout guy? How do you? Uh, are you a negotiator? How do you kind of work that out with them? I don't do much negotiate. You know, it's uh, in my house. It's, it's not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. And uh, I always tell them that's why I'm the father and they're the kids, right? And they're not. 
Um, so no, I mean, I, 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 I use spanking obviously. Um, and then I obviously use, um, timeout, you know, it's, it's an escalation of, I call it the escalation of force, uh, you know, timeout first. And then, you know, we, we sit down and talk about it and then it's, you know, how, how far do they want to escalate it? Right. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And, and because now you are a single dad, at what, at what point in a new relationship do you think you feel comfortable introducing uh, a new girlfriend or a new woman into the lives of your kids? Um, it would have to be at the point to where I, you know, I couldn't see like there's no other option, right? Like like that I'm not an option. Once that relationship becomes, once it becomes, I mean, obviously, you know, I was married and that that turned into an option. But once it becomes to a point to where, you know it's going forward and that's going to be the future. Like that I have a future with this person, then that would be it. But until then, you know, um, nobody, nobody gets to meet my kids. Yeah. Now, you know, I know we were talking about the social media. You could probably make a fortune if you started a show called dating Dakota. Would you ever consider doing one of them type of reality shows? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> it sounds like a headache to me. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing I just wanted to ask you about, too, is because I know that uh, guns are always a big topic of conversation. Um, and I know that you, you're obviously a gun owner. How do you um, feel about gun safety? Or what, a better way to say is when do you think is the proper time to start teaching your kids about guns and gun safety? Um, you know, I think that whenever my kids can understand what, what the repercussions of guns can be, uh, I think that's whenever I can allow them to be, you know, to have to be, you know, to, to be able to be around weapons. I mean, look, I've got guns all in the house. They see me with guns. They know not to touch guns. Um, you know, I mean, I, I keep guns in my house all over to protect them, their safety, right? So I think it's the same thing with that is whenever, whenever safety becomes a priority to my kids and they understand the, you know, the, when I feel like that they can understand the consequences of what a weapon can do, then I'll let them, I'll teach them how to shoot and I'll let them be around it. Okay. Yeah. Well said. All right. All right. You have a lot of success going on here with the flip side canvas, the own the dash. What kind of goals or plans do you have for yourself for the future here? Yeah, I just want to build a future that's, you know, that changes the world, you know, that makes people understand how great that they are and, and, and that, you know, to hopefully get, to get my country and the world that I fought for, you know, back to a place that, you know, is worthy of the sacrifice of my teammates. Yeah, awesome. All right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here at Dakota, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for the new dad or for the about-to-be father who's out there listening? You know, if your dad is just about to be uh, for the first time, you know, understand that, that we, look, it's it's hard for all of us. You know, nobody's a perfect parent. Nobody gets it right all the time. Um, understand, you know, have realistic expectations. Don't don't parent off of, of what you know was, you know, off of how others tell you to parent. Parent off what you know is right, what you know is – what, what you know, you know, build, you know, don't look at just today. Look at how you want your kids in the future and, and, and be the parent. Understand, be the parent. Make sure that that relationship, don't be their friend. Be the parent. They, my dad always used to tell me, and this is, this is the advice that I'll, 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 I'll end all this with, is he didn't care about if what I thought of him today. He cared about me what I, what he cares about what I thought about him when I'm a father. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. Uh, this has been a, a real honor for me. Uh, you are a first-class father all the way. i got to say, Dakota Meyer, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks so much, man. Joining me now, first-class father, John Teagan. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Alec. All right, uh, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? 
Um, well, do I do I clean the animals or no? <laughs> you can if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got uh, seven-year-old twins now. Okay, wow, very cool. What kind of uh, sports or activities are they into? Uh, got right now. Got them into some MMA stuff and uh, shooting. That's pretty much it. Okay, very cool. All right, John, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Um, well, right now I kind of do nothing, uh, <laughs> but uh, now I, I was uh, one of the GRS uh, team members in Benghazi. Uh, former U.S. Marine, got out as an E5, and uh, did contract for ten years after uh, I finished uh, out of the Marine Corps. So that's kind of now I just uh, I try to do shooting competitions and uh, motivational speaking. Oh, okay, very cool. When did fatherhood come into the picture for you? Were you still serving when you were a father, and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Uh, we waited. Uh, we've been married almost 20 years now, but we waited, shoot, almost uh, almost 10 years before we decided to have kids. And Actually, uh, it was about 2010, I want to say, when we decided to, to start the process, and we ended up going through IVF and I think the best best decision ever made though was because they want to put three eggs back in, and I said, "No, let's just do two. Um, so I think that was a good decision on my part because I don't know what we do with triplets. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was yeah. So they were, you know, as for how it changed, um, you know, doing a contracting for so long, you know, it definitely changed my mindset once they were actually born because um, you know. People think like Benghazi was like your, you know, must have been like your first rodeo, but it wasn't. Then you know, did it for ten years, so there's been multiple conflicts. Just you know, I think that night I actually found myself thinking about home quite a bit versus thinking about the situation in front of me, which is really not that great of a, a thing to do. But so I think that definitely it definitely changed my mind on the way I, I thought while I was overseas. Yeah, it, it, it's so inspiring for me. I, the, the the best videos I love seeing on social media are the ones where you know there's a a, a man or a woman returning home, surprising their children by showing off. I think those are the, the best videos that they have uh, on social media. Um, what was I going to say here? Uh, right, you know, since you've been through the process, what kind of advice could you give to other parents that are maybe starting the whole IBF process themselves on trying to have kids? It's a it's a long process. Um, you know, we got lucky and it took the very first time, uh, but still, I mean, it, it was. I think now the VA actually pays for it. When we did, the VA didn't pay for it. Um, but it's, you know, it's it is a long process. It just, but it is the cool thing is you actually because we get the very very first picture, which is with them when the egg is uh, is fertilized. So that's kind of cool to have. Um, a lot of people don't get get that get that chance to have that kind of picture. But um, again, the process was for the most part easy. It's just very very time consuming. Because I think it was like a, I think it took us about a year just to go through everything. Okay, very cool. And um, what type, you know, being a Marine, I know that former Marine, I know that you're a very well-disciplined individual, but how are you as a disciplinarian <laughs> when it comes to being a dad? You know, I just, you know, you try to treat them as kids, but you treat them, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, we never baby talk to our kids. You know, we, we kind of treat them like an adult, you know, don't really. Again, I don't baby them. Um, I'm not strict, you know, but, uh, you know, I do, they do get spankings. I really do believe in spankings uh, and, you know, put them in the corner and stuff like that because I think kids, they need to know what's right, what's wrong, and they need to have discipline. 
Yeah, and how, how about uh, guns and gun safety with kids? When, when do you think is the proper age to introduce kids to guns and, and, and to be safe for them to be around them and kind of train them in how to use them? Um, I think, you know, if you got guns in your house, the, the sooner the better, because uh, the longer you wait, the more likelihood an accident's going to happen in your house. Um, I mean, you hear about five-year-old kids, three-year-old kids picking up guns and shooting their, you know, their siblings. So, I mean, I taught my kids pretty much as soon as they could start walking and talking. Um, you know, just showed them what a gun, I mean, obviously they had their toy gun and stuff like that, but uh, I think about three years old is when I really started teaching them, you know, gun safety, what, you know, what a real gun does, what a toy gun does. You know, I took them, I got, you know, I got 40 acres out here, so I took them and I got a bunch of rodents, prairie dogs, and, you know, I showed them what a real gun does to things, you know, with rabbits, you know, you know skin them, a rabbit, stuff like that, you know. I think that the sooner you teach them, the way, the better off they are in the long run. You know, my boy, he shot his first rifle at three and a half years old. So, and wow, very cool. What what about technology, John? How do you kind of handle? I know right now a big thing with the kids is watching <laughs> YouTube and all this other oh, kind of technology. Gosh. How do you kind of handle all that with your kids? <laughs> that's that's always going to be a struggle. Um, yeah, we got them their iPads. Uh, we, we got them pretty early on cause, you know, cause you can learn really quick off electronics as well, but you control what they, when they can download stuff. Cause you know, we get a warning if they try to buy stuff or download anything on their iPads. Um, we control how much YouTube they have cause there's a, there's a YouTube apps called YouTube for kids and you can, uh, you can tell it for how long they can be on it pretty much up to one hour at a time. And that's pretty much what we limit to them. It's about an hour a day on YouTube. Um, we, they have like, well, they still have ABC Mouse, which is a really good, you know, spelling and stuff like that for them. They still, actually, they still play with that one quite a bit. But, you know, I just try to put a lot more learning learning games on there than actual games. My boy, he likes um, Minecraft and what is it? Um, shoot, what's this other one? Fortnite? No, I don't know. Not yet, right? Play, no, won't let him play Fortnite. Uh, yeah, they're a little early for that. I heard a lot of bad things about that with some kids. <laughs> um, because they just play it so freaking much. Uh, like my cousin kids, they're they're teenagers. They said they can't even get them off that game. So, you know, we I think the biggest thing is just to limit their time on it. And you know, they they've kind of gotten down where you know they every now and then they get frustrated, but you just got to tell them, hey, you can only play it for so long, and then let's go play a board game. Let's let's read a book and something like that. So. Yeah, there's definitely some smart people designing these things, man, because that, that Fortnite thing has really blasted off, and it's a struggle in my house with my 12- and 11-year-old at the, at the moment. It's hard yeah, to compete. It is. It's it's crazy. But luckily, I mean, we had a – they like to be outside more than inside, so when it's nice out, they're always outside. So when they're when it's nasty outside, it, we kind of – we're a little more lenient on their, uh, on their gaming and stuff like that because – even though they watch the YouTube, they usually they're always watching something that's actually educational in some form. Yeah, very cool. Uh, what, one thing I speak about quite a bit on the podcast, it, it seems like to me at least that there's an attack in this country on fatherhood, on family life, and, and in particular masculinity. And it seems like the younger generation uh, is kind of uh, getting this idea, a false image of what fatherhood, manhood is all about. So, What's, what's some of the ways we could kind of uh, fight back or change that narrative and, and make uh, fatherhood, manhood appear more realistic to what it actually is? That's going to be that's a tough one because, you know, the bad thing is the, 
the liberal side, they control pretty much the whole media aspect of our life. Um, it, it, you know, again, it just comes down to family. I mean, it, it comes down to the man and the family to just step up and, you know, be a man, do what's right and, you know, take care of your family, take care of your wife and, you know, treat everyone, you know, it, just by treating people with respect, I think shows the difference between a man and what the liberals think a man is. Because sometimes if you watch the TV and how some of these men treat some of the women on the liberal side, it's freaking insane. Um, it's it's just going to be a struggle. I mean, you, I mean the man's supposed to be the protector, and they don't want the man to be the protector no more. They want everybody just to kind of roll over and lie on their backs and just take it. But you know, I, there's no way I could do it. Yeah, it, it's pretty alarming, especially uh, you know I, I drive Uber on the weekends and stuff, and I listen to a lot of these kids that are in college now, and a lot of them. They, they lean towards this socialism, and, and I don't understand really how that all became, uh, you know, a big part for the younger generation of where they're getting these ideas that, that socialism could be uh, some type of good thing. But I try to avoid politics as much as I can just because uh, it's so nasty and it brings out such uh, anger. Um, have you ever considered getting involved in the political arena? Um, I get asked that quite a bit, but I got two way too many skeletons in my closet. <laughs> um. You know, I just, I don't know, man, it's it's a nasty, politics is nasty, man. I mean, there's, I don't, I mean, you got to be, I would say probably about 90% of them are extremely dirty individuals just to be in politics. Um, yeah. I I just don't, yeah, I can't see myself doing it. I mean, there's a lot of veterans that are getting in there. They, they try to clean, clean it up, but, you know, you're fighting the systems that's been around for over 200 years, and it's it's going to take decades to fix it you know i mean you got unless you unless you put in term limits i don't think it's ever going to be fixed i mean what you got you got politicians that make what two hundred thousand something a year but they're worth 120 million dollars yeah i mean that's just pure greed and that's it's just greed and power it's what's keeping them there yeah i have been very happy to see so many of the of uh, the veterans getting involved we do need the, their voices and we do need their presence there to hopefully over the long term change the whole the whole idea of it around um, but getting it back to fatherhood here, how would you, everything that you've been through and seen in your life, how would you feel about, I know they're young yet, but how would you feel about your kids, uh, uh joining the military in their life? You know, <clears throat> I don't, I wouldn't mind it, but it also depends on who's president at the time. Um, cause I don't want, you know, not again, not to get back into politics, but Obama's rule of engagement really killed a lot of troops, um, uh, put it, you know, it, it tied up their hands, you know. You know, you got guys shooting at you. The moment they put their gun down, you're, allowed, you're not allowed to engage, but they'll run around the corner, grab another gun, and start shooting you again. So I think I don't – I wouldn't care if they join, but I would definitely be, you know, cautious about who was actually running the military at the time. I think it's a good thing. It's a very uh, – it teaches you discipline, leadership, you know, it, and it teaches a skill. I mean, it's – I think everybody should go through the military just to kind of – especially boot camp. It'll weed out a lot of this uh, – snowflake stuff going on yeah very cool what is something that i mean being overseas you've been in some of the darkest places on earth what what, what are some of the uh the differences and some of the similarities uh, about the fathers that you've kind of seen or, or or some of the differences of the kids uh over there as opposed to over here it wasn't really around too many of the kids um i would, ha I would probably have to say the kids over there have a lot more street smarts than the kids here um, just because they really, they're just kind of thrown out to the wolves. Um, 
they definitely a lot more poverty over there than there is here, way more. I mean, you know, you see kids, it's, it's, I definitely wouldn't want my kids to grow up over there in some of the places, but I don't, it definitely is not as educated for the most part. Uh, I would probably say maybe 20, 30% of the kids are actually educated over there at a, at a good level. Um, but, you know, the kids here have it a thousand times better, even though they're not as street smart, you know, but they're very well educated uh, compared to over there. They have a better living lifestyle here than they do there. And, you know, but you just don't know it until you go over and actually see it. So a lot of people here just take it for granted. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, I, I, I've read both the book and seen the movie. How do you kind of feel that that represents what happened over in Benghazi? And would you, uh, at a certain point, allow your kids to read the book and see the movie? Yeah, I mean, I've I, I got no problem letting them do either or. Um, I mean, I'm, the wife doesn't want them to watch the movie yet. I mean, I don't care if they watch it now. Some of the stuff they've, they've watched with me, I mean, I've, I watch war movies all the time with them. And, you know, Again, I, I, of course, watching the movie, and I sit in there telling them, like, you know, like, this isn't real, this is fake, you know, trying to explain to them the difference between reality and the movie. Um, but, I I mean, I, you know, they know I got a book, and they know I got a movie, but they have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very... I mean, it was what... kind of fun. Sorry. Oh, I, mean, I was just... So when I was doing, going around doing a lot of book signings and stuff, and every now and then they would come with me, and they knew I had a book, but they always saw, like, one book in the house. So every time I'd go around, you know, do stuff, and they'd see somebody with my book, a couple of times they walked up and grabbed the book out of their hands and go, this is my daddy's book. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. Uh, what do you have working on now, John? What are you, kind of, what are you doing right now? What are, you, what are your goals for the future here? What, what does the future have in store for John Teague? You know, I'm just kind of – for the most part, sadly, I'm just kind of winging it. But uh, the biggest thing I'm working on now is my foundation. Uh, it's called Beyond the Battlefield. It's helping the veterans and first responders. You know, we, we've we're working on get trying. Our main goal is to try to get veterans dogs. We've got two veteran service dogs. Uh, we're actually in the middle of working on a third right now. Um, but other than that, you know, we've you know we've done toy runs for the for the fire department that were that was affected by uh, uh, was it the Paradise Fire. I'm in California. Um, took like a trailer full of toys out there for the kids, and it's about three thousand dollars worth of gift cards. Um, we've uh, rebuilt well, not we've helped rebuild one house for a veteran, helped redo a house for another veteran. We've buried a World War II veteran. You know, we've given out food. You know, we just try to do whatever we can when we can for veterans and first responders. We've helped them get uh, help with the PTS and TBI stuff. So it's you know we're kind of all over the board. We just again. I do a lot of uh, speaking events for a lot of these other foundations and hear other guys that tried to work with other foundations and they're like, well, you're this, we can't help you. Oh, we don't do that. We can't help you. You know, so we just kind of, we try to do whatever we can when we can do it. If we can't do it, we'll find them the resource that, that can help them. Yeah, that's awesome. I will definitely include a link to that, to your foundation in the description of this podcast episode when I post it. Last thing I want to hit you with here, John, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice can you give to that new father or to that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Get that diaper, genie. Because I tell you <laughs> what, man. <laughs> um, you know, I actually enjoyed it for the most – I mean, I did – you know, when I was there, I was actually in Benghazi and the twins were born and I got – you know, I flew home because so they were too much premature. 
Um, but, you know, it, again, it's going to change everything. You know, you got to expect you got to be ready for it. Just try to prepare for as much as you possibly can ahead of time. Don't wait for it. Say, I'll just kind of see what happens. Um, you know, we, we tried to prepare for as much as we could. You know, we had baby gates before they could even crawl. You know, we had, <clears throat> you know, all the rooms set up for them before they even came home. I mean, it was, I think being pre- prepared beforehand, it, it helped out a ton. And just be patient. I mean, and don't don't be afraid to wake up in the middle of the night and take care of the kid while the wife sleeps because, you know, that's, I think that helped her out quite a bit. When I, when I was home, I'd always get up and they could let her sleep in and I took care of the kids when they cried, even though it was twins. But, again, if you do do the IVF and they put three in, be prepared to have three because we did two and we had two. So I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, very well said. I love the message. John Teague, I want to say thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy Packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co-founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strikeforce Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeforceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. Strikeforce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeforceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I just want to say a special thank you to all of our military veterans out there. I am so proud to be an American, and I am so thankful for your service. Tomorrow we're going to return to our regular scheduled program here. This has been First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for listening. I'm Alec Lace. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are First Class Fathers. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by NFW Watches. Please go over to nfwonline.com and use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. You're going to save 15% off your entire order. You're going to get free shipping inside the United States. And $50 of every order is going to go directly towards Honor Flight, which is helping our World War II veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now are first-class parents. He is a former Navy SEAL whose best-selling book, Lone Survivor, was turned into a blockbuster movie with the same title, detailing his account of a deadly SEAL team operation. He is a Navy Cross and Purple Heart recipient. He joins me today with his wife, Melanie, from the great state of Texas. It is a big honor for me to say Melanie and Marcus Luttrell. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get this started here. How many kids do you guys have, and how old are they? Three. One is fixing to be 21 years old, and then he's a, he's a junior at LSU. We have one that's seven and one that is six. Very cool. What type of um, sports or activities are they into? Hunter, the oldest, did football and baseball all through growing up. Now that he's in college, he actually plays on their club baseball team. He was state champion his uh, senior year in high school. He's a, he's a heck of a player. Um. And Axe and Addie, the little ones, are not in organized sports yet. 
Um, but that's mainly because of our schedule, not because of them. Well, at this age right now, I was waiting for Axe to turn seven, and this is where I start introducing him to – because I don't even need that. I mean, I want him to have a childhood and play and, and, and do all that before I kind of come in their life and, and start – pushing them in or helping them in the directions with the discipline and everything. So we've introduced them to jiu-jitsu and baseball and basketball and tennis and golf and bowling and uh, pool and swimming and pretty much everything. And then once they kind of find an interest in something and, and point in the direction they want to go, then we'll start. Yeah, that's awesome because I've had my kids in these organized sports leagues as young as four years of age, and it kind of really just simulates the way I played when I was a kid. We played more in the street or in the neighborhood without referees and coaches and all that. We kind of had to handle the uh, problem-solving aspects uh, of the games in a sense, whereas today I think these organized sports, they kind of take that opportunity away from the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of why we held off. I mean, it is you, you, you find your niche with your friends, and if you kind of get put into something – in the beginning that your parents push you in and you, don't, and you don't like it, you kind of get that impression that all of it's like that, and that's not how we want to do it. So once they, you know, you make them want it and, and kind of crave it and ask for it, and then once they start showing the interest in it, then you then you kind of give uh, lead them down that path. Yeah. Okay, Melanie, please hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a loaded question. That is, man. That's hard to answer. I... Um, <laughs> I basically manage Marcus's schedule and um, pretty much everything that he does from an umbrella standpoint. I don't do the day-to-day details, but I um, kind of operate as his manager. Um, I also am my family manager. I have a big family, um, my dad and my sisters, and I – we have a big ranch and I manage all of that. So I have, I wear many, many, many hats. Okay. On top of managing everything that falls underneath my umbrella, not managing it. She's just the wife and she's the boss and she kind of over all the other managers. Not only that, she's a full-time, I mean, she's an amazing wife, a mother of three. She has five sisters. All of them are on their own path in college and kind of, and she does something with each one of them. On top of that, she runs the part of the family business and, and that in itself is global, okay? And then she helps get uh, she's, uh, people elected into public office, including, you know, up to working on the president's campaign, congressman. I mean, she just, she she has multiple hats that that, um, that she wears, and it's just, it's, it's almost impossible to put it all into uh, perspective. I like politics. I like local politics, and I do um, fundraising, and I just help with campaigns and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. I want to get your guys' perspective here because I talk about this all the time on the podcast. It feels like, to me at least, in this country, there's an attack on family life, on family values, through our pop culture, through the way uh, dads and family life is portrayed on TV and in the movies. Uh, So I think it's important for especially the young men, but just for, for the younger generation to hear from successful people, from well-known people, uh, you know, how good and how awesome fatherhood and family life truly is. So let me start with you here, Melanie. How did becoming a mom kind of change your perspective on life? Well, I became a mom at 19 years old. So I've been a mom my whole adult life, and I don't know anything other than that. Um, So I was a single mom for a long time, and that was obviously hard, but it it brings you really close to your child. So um, when I met Marcus 
uh, was very thankful that he embraced Hunter as his own and Hunter loves him um, like, like their blood. So it's, it's been a blessing for me. I know every family situation is not like that. Um, but our family dynamic has worked really well. Yeah, it's so cool that you were able to do that, Marcus, too, because there, there are so many kids growing up in this country without a father figure in their lives, and, and the stats are really stacked against them. Uh, there's definitely a fatherless uh, household problem in the country. But, uh, Marcus, you have been all around the world. You've been to hell and back. You've been through so many different evolutions in your life. How did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? It was the best thing ever. My brother and I always had an arrangement. For the first 40 years, we were married to the SEAL teams, to our country, and to everybody involved with that. And then at 40, we would retire, stop, and shift, and go in a completely different direction, either go into whatever we want to do or if we, you know, kind of start looking for our wives. Uh, I got lucky. I met Melanie on a blind date, and uh, I asked her, you know, I, she left that. I was like, that's the last time you'll ever leave anywhere without me. I showed up the next day at her house with everything I owned was in a bag. I walked in and never left. And, and I, the first time Hunter came walking out of his room, I remember looking down. I was like, I didn't even really know about him. I'm like, what is, hey, what's up, buddy? Because that's a big deal to walk into another bull's pasture. Let's be real about that. But and I kind of knelt down. I was like, hey, look, this is going to go one of two ways, man. And it went, the, the, you know, the, the famous way. I, I, I still remember being a kid and growing up and what that was like and making those mistakes. And anything and everything that I learned in the SEAL teams was, is dedicated now to being a husband and a, a father. And making mistakes is part of it. And realizing that you made them is part of it, too, and that life is going to be difficult in any kind of capacity. And as the father, I have the ability, plus my background, to put pressure on my kids to see how they react in certain uh, situations. And then I have the ability to pull it off of them. And that in itself trains them because when you go out into the real life, I mean, you know, we train our kids to get dressed, you know, to brush our teeth and talk and everything like that. But most people won't train them to defend themselves. They won't train them what to look out for because they're scared of it themselves. And all our children are is the next version of us. I mean, it's the better version. You, you meet the woman in your dreams. You create something that's, that's twice as powerful as you ever were, and, but all the doors are shut. And as they go through life, it's just you going through life in, a, in, in the new version, and you kind of want to see where it goes and, and what, in what capacity you, you uh, maintain a little bit of your old self or if you're completely brand new. And as you go through life, you want to kind of train yourself in every situation so that when you do have the next version of yourself, you can be there training them. I would never beat up myself. I would never, you know, talk down to myself. And that's what our kids are. It's our next version. I mean, you got to look at them like that young version. And when you were young, you made mistakes. And, you you know, you still believe in magic. And that's that's part of it, too. And, and um, you know, we raised our kids with, with faith and, the, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and we, we love each other in every capacity. And when they make mistakes, I mean, the thing about our generation, Gen X, man, is we're just so hardcore that, you know, we're, we're like stunt parents, right? I mean, we see our kids do something, like, oh, that's cool, but check this out, right? I mean, we have, we have the X teams. Our, our warriors have been fighting for 20 years. You know, our women are Gen X. I mean, they're just, just hardcore. And, and our kids have this technology today, and all the video games and movies that they watch are basically our lives playing out in front of them. And, uh, you know, every time they get a chance to, to, to step into it, we're just like, no, we'll do it. You know, it's, and, and that's okay. I mean, it, every generation is different. Our generation, I remember the things they said about us, it was bad. Same thing they say about the millennials, but that's what it's all about. You know? It's just uh, going through life and learning as much as you can so you can pass it down. Very well said, and I'm a faith-based person myself, so I love to hear you mention Christ in there. God is under attack in this country as well. 
Uh, let me ask you guys about discipline. Who is more of the disciplinarian in your home, and how do you guys kind of handle it? I think I'm more of the disciplinarian um, just because I've been doing it for so much longer. Um, I'm a spanker for sure. Uh, I don't beat, and I I have ground rules with my spanking. Um, I, I give warnings, and if they're third time is a charm, and uh, there's a spanking coming on that third time, I always spank on the behind, never anywhere else, you know, like I've got my structure of spanking and it seems to work. I agree with you, Melanie. And I, and I like what you said there too, because there is a major difference between spanking a child and beating a child. And I think up until a certain point, uh, you know, spanking is very effective. I don't uh, believe in screaming or yelling or humiliating when parents do that. It drives me absolutely crazy because it's counterproductive. It's that, that's just hurting the child. They think, oh, well, I'm not spanking him. I'm not touching him. Well, by by humiliating him or screaming at him in front of somebody, that's not helping them either. So I, I think one of our biggest problems today with, you know, kids just going crazy um, and there's lots of issues that are happening today that weren't happening when we were kids, but I think a huge part of it is the lack of discipline. And lack of structured discipline. Yeah, you make a great point there, Melanie. And, and as parents, it is difficult to watch our kids fail or to get hurt. And, but, I, I mean, I understand that failure is, is a part of growth. Uh, but this whole every kid gets a trophy philosophy, I think, does a lot more harm than it does good. So, I mean, how do you, uh, Marcus, how do you kind of respond when your kids fail or, or, or get hurt? And um, maybe a, a word about discipline as well. Well, look, man, the trophies at that age are a gift to your children because when you congratulate them with words, they don't understand that they still get presents. I mean, they, they, they see what's going on and they can hear you, but they don't understand it. And even when they're on their own, the way they learn their lessons and what really not to do is when they get, when they feel pain and you know, the butt has some extra padding back there to apply a little pressure. And if, if you don't, if you don't do that to them, okay. And if you don't, what do you want to do? Keep them safe or secure? You want to hinder them, right? Because you're going to experience pain in life. And when you get out of sports and out of school, there are no more written tests. There are no more trophies. There's the good times and the bad times. And if, and if you're not paying attention to your good ones, your bad times are going to just light you up. And it's incumbent upon parents. I mean, who do you want to show it to them? All right, who do you want to discipline? The most dangerous thing on this planet is an undisciplined human mind. You just want a, you just want a grown-up baby, somebody who thinks they're still in seventh grade and deserve a present for every time they do something good? Or do you want to say, hey, look, man, uh, Look, right now you do something, and we're all we're, we're playing this event. We're going to give you a trophy to reward those who work the hardest. And as you, as you progress in age and in life, those trophies go away, and it comes into diplomas, and then into money, and then into cars, and and everything that you know that we that we like to give ourselves. But if you put them in the mindset that all they have to do is compete or show up, then there's that only happens in a small percentage of of, of the world's population. So, I mean, if you just want them to live in that town for the rest of their life and be the, the kid who got the trophy in junior high or high school, well, that's cool, too. But the minute they step out of that and they go into reality, even if every kid around got a trophy growing up and then they get into the opportunity to where the trophy doesn't exist and it's just who does the best work, then it'll, it'll, it'll weed themselves out. So where do you want your kid to fall in that? Because it doesn't matter how much we protect them. Eventually, we're going to die or be gone and they're going to move away. And if if they're not ready to handle a little pressure, like say, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get first place, so I didn't get a trophy, and they don't have a meltdown, 
what are they going to do when they don't get a job or when they lose their job? I mean, you, we've actually done that to them. It's, you know, parents, it, it, we're the, we're the teachers. We have to do that. Everyone, that whole trophy and I, you know, they'll just figure it out. They'll be good. You know, everything's fine. Oh, I don't want to mess with them. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to hurt their feelings or hurt their life uh, because, you know, I'll just wait till they get out of the house and let that happen every day of their life. Well, that would be like giving an A to everyone who shows up at class. You don't. I mean, you're graded based off of your work. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Melanie. Uh, Very well said. That's how you have to learn or else we turn into the society like we're turning into where so the children's suicide rate is so high right now that it's it's scary. And and you end up with people like – Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, that wants to give everybody everything without working for it. Like, you have to have, there's, life is a progression, and you have to learn how to, you know, to move through those ropes, or else you're going to fail at life. I mean, anything that you receive in life that is free, somebody, I mean, somebody has to have in order, to, in order to receive anything, it has to be built, right? It has to be developed. And in order for that to happen, somebody has to do it. And they have to get paid to do it. Or, or they're, 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 I mean, that's just the way this kind of works, right? So in, in any – oh, most, most importantly, anything you get free, you don't respect it at all, period. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. And it, what happens eventually, if you get undisciplined and then uneducated, then you become somebody else. Somebody else tells you how everything's supposed to be instead of being able to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, and I believe the only things that we do get for free in life are given to us by our Creator. We didn't do anything to earn the right to see or to hear or, or to taste. Uh, those are blessings that are given to us, and I think we need to be more thankful, more grateful for them. But everything else, we have to earn or create for ourselves in life, but definitely need to be more thankful for the blessings we get. Yeah. Well, that's how you know things are good. I mean, you, in order to I – mean, if you really want to know how good things are in the country, see what people are complaining about. And if it's food, water, shelter, somebody killing them, uh, no clothes, no education, you know, that kind of thing, then uh, everything else is, like I said, a blessing. Yeah, right on. Uh, All right, let me ask you guys about guns. It's always a hot-button issue. And and Hollywood, for some reason, who can't seem to make even a superhero movie without gun violence, usually has the biggest mouth in the conversation when it comes to gun control. But uh, let me start with you, Melanie. How do you feel about guns, gun safety, and what is a good age to introduce guns to kids? Well, I grew up around guns. I've been a hunter since I was a young girl. I grew up with a single dad, so I'm probably not the best person to ask on that because I'm biased. Um, But I was always taught as a child, as a young girl, to respect the gun. And my dad had guns around the house, but he taught me over and over and over to never touch the gun. And I didn't. And so when I had children, even before I met Marcus, I had guns in the home as a single mom, and I taught my son to never touch the gun, and he didn't. It's kind of like that, um, Taya, Kyle, and I have talked about this before, and when when you're kid, a kid and you've got, uh, your mom has a, a nice glass bowl on the dining room table, like a china or something, or a crystal bowl, and she says, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, and repeats herself so many times that you know you don't touch that damn bowl. And it's the same thing with a gun. If they're familiar with it and they know not to mess with it, 
and you also have to know your children and trust your children that, I mean, there are some kids that don't listen. So in that case, you have to always have your guns completely secure and never allow guns around your child. Or if you've got children that behave and that respect your word and you know that they won't mess up, then it's okay. Like I have a shotgun leaning up against my headboard. Now there's not a shell in the chamber, can't go off. My safety is on. I have safety precautions around it. I'm not stupid, but it, it is visible. Now I know for a fact my kids won't touch that gun because we have gone over it multiple, multiple, multiple times and they don't do it. Um, and we've got video cameras in the room. So it's just one of those things that you have to teach gun safety before you have guns around. And it has to be something that's not forbidden and secretive where they're going to want to play around with the gun. Um, make it a common thing. Like Marcus before has uh, taken his guns apart. Obviously, there's no ammunition in the guns or anything, but he's had Axe, you know, help him clean it. And so Axe is familiar. This is only something that you're around when daddy's around. And, I mean, he's seven years old. So we're okay with that because it's a common subject in our family home. It's not the forbidden fruit, you know, that, that yeah. they can't touch. Exactly. And, and with that being said, man, any, if they're old enough to, to, to pick something up and to understand, to manipulate it, then that's, they're old enough to start, you know, teaching them with that. And it's basically like sex, okay? I mean, it, you teach our kids everything there is about sex, what kind of kids are going to come out of it, and there ain't nothing more dangerous than a loaded uh, teenage boy, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, look, I don't teach snakes and, 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 and all these dangerous things. I don't keep them around the house, but they're around, okay? So in order for my kids to survive out in the world, I train them in every capacity. And because we do keep firearms here, I do train them in, in – look, Navy SEAL is the most important thing in our life is safety, all right? I can manipulate that thing as well as we can because how safe we are with it. And then if, anywhere and everywhere your kid goes, if there's something out there that they're going to run into and you don't train them for it, somebody else will, okay? And if everybody in the room around is kids and they see a gun and they're all trained that they're not supposed to touch it, then they won't, all right? And if you, if you train – any and anything and everything that they're going to run into in life, if you do not prepare them for it, somebody else will. And it, and and that's a lot of times how the most when most kids get hurt, it's because they haven't had gun safety. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. our police use it. We we use it for. I mean, as we progress as a society, we get more sophisticated in the cities. Something that used to be commonplace becomes well, we don't do it here, and then we don't talk about it here, and now it's just forbidden. And that's kind of how it is with firearms. Uh, you know, even out in the country, we have them around because not, we don't use them for safety, but we use them for hunting, for for food, for protection, uh, for for animals, to protect our own animals, and, you know, all across the board. I mean, and, and it's it's one of those deals where this country is protected by all of that, and I know people hate to hear that, and I'm, I'm all about gun safety because I have gun safety running out of my ears, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I really do, and I mean, it's just, um, it's it should be in the capacity that you teach your kids about dangerous things or things that they will encounter in life as they progress. One being, you know, we'll teach you how to dress and go to school. Then as you uh, down the line, we'll teach you how to drive. And then we'll teach you, how, you know, hey, when you start going through puberty, you guys are going to be chasing each other like crazy, okay? Here's the safety precautions you use in case you run into a loaded teenage boy, okay, or vice versa. 
you know, you're teenagers, you're like, hey, man, I need to settle down. You, 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 this is what's going to be happening, you, your hormones, blah, blah, blah. And it's all the, the variables that run into each individual is the same capacity when you run into a somebody who's not trained with a weapon system and, uh, in the house or out of it. First of all, you can't blame – anybody who blames an inanimate object for something, I mean, if you literally are persecuting an inanimate object that can't activate itself without a human being behind it, then you don't want to look at the, what's really going on. Okay, that, no weapon can hurt anybody unless somebody's behind it. And that goes back to when your kids need to be disciplined. And, I mean, that, and that, that stems like if you don't do it, then there is no – if no one disciplines them, then you're going to have around a bunch of undisciplined adults, and then who knows how to run anything? Well, you know, my dad used to say this back in the day. Maybe that would work. Or, you know, I mean, or it's like, hey, I did this, actually. You know, and I, I mean, I, I know it's old hat, but I still teach my kids how to find, you know, start fire, build a tent, and, you know, in any case, you know, change a tire, anything and everything that they have would have to do like we had to do before tech. That's the beautiful part about our generation, man, is we're a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. So we're the kind of last generation we can teach that old school stuff, you know, basic survival skills without without a, without a battery. Because any Anything with a battery can shut down. I think the biggest, the short answer to that is gun safety. Gun safety, gun safety, gun safety. Always talk about it. Always be open about it. Hey, and I know people, and I love them very much, but they don't have anything to do with it. They don't want to touch that. And I'm like, hey, good. We need people like that, too, because there's people like me who have to use it to protect you, okay? And then my children will be trained and understand what their father did. I wouldn't keep that from them. I mean, because then that would make me look like somebody bad. Why did why, well, if if dad did it and it's bad, then he must be bad. Well, that's not, that's not it. I was using it to protect everybody else, man. It's just pe- bad people do bad things with that. It's, it boils down to that sin you carry. I mean, if you have wrath inside of you like I do, you can either use that wrath to protect people from wrath or you can become wrath and hurt people with it. And yeah. each one of us has that uh, sin inside of us, man. And if you, if you get into it and manipulate, or not manipulate, but if you abuse it, then, man, you're going down the bad road. But if you understand where you are in the beginning and you have people around you who have already been through that gauntlet, then they can walk you through it, and that's what you're doing. We're walking you through life, man. I'm like, I'm not teaching you to use a gun in a bad way. I'm teaching you gun safety in case somebody bad gets a hold of this thing. Yeah, I have a perfect example, and I don't want to, you know, harp on the gun subject, but my mom's brother was nine years old at a friend's house where the friend was not, they never talked about guns. The dad uh, left a gun out and a rifle out, and the kids were in the house by themselves, and the little kid grabbed the gun and accidentally shot my mom's brother. Wow. He was nine years old, and he died. And it's absolutely terrible. It's a terrible situation. This kid was curious. He he surely didn't mean to kill his best friend, um, but the parents never talked to him about the gun. It was just something that was forbidden. You know, don't, don't touch a dog gun, you know, that kind of mentality. Not teaching the safety mechanisms and the consequences and everything of a gun. Now, my mom, as a grown woman, is ter- she grew up terrified of guns. So a few years ago, we were talking, and she said she went out and bought her first handgun for, for home protection. And I flipped out because I knew that my mom has never had 
any gun safety training. And I said, Mom, do you know how to shoot the gun? She said, no. And I said, well, then having a gun in your home is worse than, ha- than not having it and someone coming in because you're not going to know what to do with it. You can shoot yourself, shoot a family member, or the person breaking into your home is going to end up grabbing it from you and shooting you with it. You cannot have a gun in your home if you are not 100% comfortable with that gun and all of the safety that goes around it. And that I'm very, very big on that is just gun safety through and through. If you're going to go get a gun and you don't have a Navy SEAL as a husband or, you know, someone in the military in your family or whatever, a big hunter in the family, go get lessons. Go, I, teach, I host a women's shooting camp every year, and it's all about gun safety. And I'm just a huge advocate on that, that you don't, not everyone needs a gun. If you're not comfortable with it, don't have it. Or if you want to get comfortable with it, go take lessons before you buy one. All right. And here's the biggest thing with that. All right. And everybody throws this over on us because we carry guns. Look, any, any responsible hunter I know, anybody who I hang out with, anybody and everybody I run around, hunters, I mean, we all have the safety classes, and they all t- we all make us take each other's safety classes so that we'll know that we're safe. I, the people who are like, you don't need a safety class, just go get me. Those, are, man, those do not speak for all of us. Okay? Yeah, those, <laughs> those are the people you don't want to go hunting. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know who – I mean, when I hear that, when people throw that on us, I'm like, well, you don't want gun laws? I'm like, who the hell says that? I mean, I, I have to go through so much gun training, and, I mean, I still have to do it. And anytime I purchase a weapon, I have to go through the whole gambit of it, and I should. Just, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I, because of how I'm trained, you need to know what, what you know, and, and, if, and if you're going to keep a log of how well I'm trained, why would you not keep a log of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing? And, uh, you know, the, don't don't pay attention to people trying to stir up all that crap saying that we hate each other because of our color and everything. Man, our generation, gen, man, we, that's gone at all, man. I mean, we, we, we had to grow up and fight a war for 20 years with each other, all right? So you can't tell me that we can't come together and that we can't make things work. It's the people who walk up and say, well, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't even care what you have to say. Those people need to get pushed and in, in, in either figure something out or get away from the collective uh, of the rest of us because we're trying to make this thing work. It's Boil it down, man. We're a family. There's no ruling parties in America. The best part about our country is you can be born with no last name, no nothing, and still become a king. All right, we don't call it that. We call it president. You can become a king of the most powerful nation and wield the most powerful sword the earth has ever known, okay, and be a nobody, a literal nobody. And we switch that, and then everybody underneath the president, I mean, look at our aunts, uncles, and then look at our sports franchises as the counts and dukes and duchesses and stuff like that. It's a family environment. You have to treat it that way all the way down to our kids and train them what they're going to run into in the house. Yeah, I agree with you guys. You make some great points. I try to stay away from the political aspects of all this stuff because there, there's so much hatred and so much anger involved with all of it. Uh, I think as fathers, as parents, we all want the same thing for our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to have some success. And I think if we just step back and look at the big picture here, we would quickly realize that we're we're all after the same thing here, and we all have a lot more in common than we ever knew. Oh, well, let me tell you something. That's the greatest part about Melly and I's life is the people that we interact with, and it's all across the board. So, I mean, I truly know that everybody can get along with everybody because I get along with the people famously who, who, who are always throwing jabs at each other. And it's just a bickering thing. 
if you boil it down to it, man, it's just a bicker, it's literally a bickering thing. We could, if we could cover, if we could figure anything out together, right? And it's kind of, a, we, we stall ourselves because we like to argue back and forth. And it, and it all goes around, man, where we're raised and kind of how we're brought up. I mean, when I first time I went to New York, I thought everyone was yelling at me. I didn't know that that's actually <laughs> how they talk and communicate, and that's, they, that's how they show their love. You know, down south, man, we didn't, it's kind of just different, man. And once you figure that out, man, New York City, man, those people are magnificent. I mean, I have so many friends up there. I love those people more than anything. You can't tell me that we can't. I've been in every state, every city, every just visiting town to town, talking to any and everybody I could to, just to see for myself, man. And I've made friends all over this place. And I talk to them on a regular basis, man, even the ones that don't get along on TV. And I just sit back and I'd be like, man, if you guys knew how much you had in common, you, you kind of squash all this and you figure out what's, which side is what, and then cut it down. Because you can't be happy all the time. That's not how life works anyways, man. And, you know, the younger generations are always complaining. That's what younger generations do. Older generations are setting their ways. So they're setting their ways. And the in-between, we, we kind of make everything work. And at no point in time should we ever hate each other, uh, draw an arm to each other, or, you know, hurt each other in, in any capacity. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we're one, if we're one big family, if you, you send your kids out next door, man, and tell me, I mean, you you want to know that they run into people who would care for them as much as you do, not hurt them because they, they didn't know something that you knew at a given time and thought a certain way. I mean, information goes by so fast, man. Literally, two kids, you get educated in two different things in a matter of a second just because of what they're looking at on their phone, man. And you, you just got to take a step back and just like, hey, whoa, I mean, take a breath, man. You guys are arguing about some dumb stuff. I mean, we all, all of us sitting back at our homes watching the TV, when you look at it, man, like, man, you guys are just arguing over dumb stuff. I can't even believe that three people on this plan- in our country have, this, have our government shut down. Three people have our government shut down. That is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I have faith that the light will overcome the darkness here. And with this technology now, you can learn new skills quicker. You can educate yourself in almost any subject. Uh, the problem is, is that there is so much poison available through these smartphones and these devices, which can really do significant damage to a young mindset. So how do you guys kind of handle technology time or video game time with your kids? We allow our kids to play video games. We limit the time that they spend on it. And obviously, they can't play you know, every game. Um, as far as phones, Axe has an old iPhone that's disabled. Uh, the Wi-Fi is disabled. He can just play games on it when he's at home or if we go to a restaurant or something, but he can't carry it to school or anything like that. Um, it's usually for plane rides, traveling, that kind of stuff. But it's basically like an iPad in the shape of an iPhone because it's disabled. I mean, think about it. It's got, look, same same way with us. It's, it, it was, it's a reward to have that stuff. We're blessed. We have land and we have a lot of stuff to do. Like we have to work out here. So they, they, they have access to that. And, and, and if you keep that stuff from them, then, then they're going to be behind. And, and then there's, there's friends. They're going to be talking about with their friends, right? They got to play. You got to, I mean, that's, that's what kids do these days. Everybody's like, oh, I'm getting my kid. I'm like, well, what are you going to give them then? Because that's what, every, you know, that's how it, that's how this things. We're just, Everything in moderation, and that, that's the way it applies to everything. You see them getting burned out on something, then you take it away from them. And, if you, and that's the way it was with us. If we, if they, we messed up. They took away uh, our car keys. Before that, it was whatever it is we had, right? And every generation is different, but just everything around us is different. The training it, uh, it, aspect of it like, in the, it should be the same. Like, i got to discipline my kid. i got to watch out for him because there's predators out there at any given time to snatch in there. And the minute I, I don't think that that can happen, I'm probably um, – I'm not doing my, my uh, kids justice. 
right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing a disservice to them. As a matter of fact, how I got to learn, got to know Hunter is I went and bought a video game for the first time ever. I didn't, I hadn't played Nintendo, right? Since we were kids with uh, Super Mario, which is a fantastic <laughs> game, by the way. And uh, uh, I went upstairs and we started playing. And Melanie, I'll never forget this. Melanie came walking up. She's like, "Have you guys been up here this whole time?" I was like, "Yeah, why? What happened?" She's like, "You've been up here for nine hours." I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, I mean, we, I just got stuff into these games are amazing. I mean, they're like three-dimensional. It's not like the stuff was just a sideways screen with us. Yeah. Or some crap like that. I mean, bro, you, I can see how you can get into it because I, I did. And so for the holidays, every time I come up to college, we play this game at, uh, together. All the boys go in there and we just kind of hash it out. It, it, it's fun, man. It's a reward. So if it, And that's how you turn it into, man. If, you, if they spend too much time on it then, it, then they won't appreciate it and they get burned out. So, I, and I, I mean, and this is the part that babbled me. Like, what? when the parents are like, no, you can't play with that, and they start complaining, and like, you get your feelings hurt. I'm like, oh. so that's it? That, that's why you let them go back and burn out on that game? It's just because you got your feelings. You're a grown-ass, you know, you're a human adult parent, okay? I know what they want to hear, and, it, you know, then you need to just think about that, all right? Just think about it. And the best part about it is when you when you actually hear your parent, your father or your mother in your head while you're saying that, I was like, no, I know why they said that. And they said that I would say this when I said this, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just, it's hilarious. I mean, and, and never forget that. Like, hey, you're at an age in your life where you have to take the responsibility. They're at the age in their life when they're screwing up. And if you, if you, if you don't, it's basically like climbing the corporate ladder, and then you get to your job and you don't want to do it, like the CEO, right, or the boss. Like, nah, I'm just going to let the kids figure out how to run a company. They'll be all right. <laughs> no other environment does that, does, will that be applicable or be even you know, stu- no one would stand for that. But you're going to do it in your home with your kids? Uh, come on, man. Think about it. Yeah, listen, hey, we use that Fortnite as a form of currency in this house. That that, that game has taken over. Right. Our uh, seven-year-old loves Fortnite. And it's, I mean, he truly enjoys playing. So why take something away that's pure joy for him? We don't make him, we don't let him play it all the time. Hey, look, man, I, I watch him and I watch them and the hand-eye coordination with all the buttons and how fast they're working. I mean, and you can read a book and, and, but I was kind of, I learned if I'm reading a book, I'm just reading it. But if I could see it and use my hands in it and build something and, 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 and I mean, that's working the mind. But just like with anything, you wouldn't sit there and read a book forever and ever and ever. You take a break, right? And as kids, they don't have that break in them yet. They don't understand that part. So, you know, be a parent. I mean, be a parent, okay? <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, Marcus, one thing I have to ask you, I listened to that 911 tape of you chasing the guy that shot your dog. I couldn't believe how calm you sounded throughout that entire high-speed chase. Uh, do you have that same kind of calmness when you're driving, like, a long-distance ride with the kids and they start driving you crazy? Because that that's a tough one for a lot of parents. Well, let me say something. After everything that I've been through, I mean, I, I learned lessons from my good and my bad. Like, a bad, a bad, something bad that happens to me doesn't hurt me mentally i take i take from it and uh i mean if you see me freaking out if some kids could freak me out after everything that i've been through then, I mean, come on. so i mean i i that that was the beautiful thing about what i did for a living and everything that i had to go through is is i don't get freaked out when they're you know when they bust and they're bleeding or or something happens like when melanie everybody comes up to me i that as not only as the, the parent the father and everything that i've been through i mean i i keep the the calm. I keep the peace around here. That's my job. I do all my, all I do around here is protection and enforcement. Melly runs the show, man. I do what I'm told and I protect and enforce everything. And then anything in between, I mean, if it, you know, if it makes it past Melly and it makes it to me, then I handle it. And that's it. 
that's probably one of my best qualities too is remaining calm things don't rile me up so car rides aren't hard for us um because we're both really chill (laughs) awesome okay uh we're in the new year here what type of uh, goals or plans do you guys have uh coming up for this year and, and, and for the future I'm trying to go keto hard, <laughs> and this family's not 100% on board. Um, <laughs> we'll get it done. Uh, we try to you know, make sure that we live every single day like it was, uh, like we wouldn't get it back. Um, we, I mean, we, we literally cherish every day around here and have the best time from sun up, sun down. And uh, even, even the hard times that we go through, we go through them together. And uh, each year is just a blessing. I turned 40 this year, so it's a rough one for me. Okay, yeah, I'm only a couple of years from 40 myself, so um, I hear you on that. Uh, All right, last thing I'm going to hit you guys with here, I'd love to ask all the parents that I have on the podcast. Let me begin with you, Melanie. What type of advice could you give to that new mom or to that about-to-be parent who's out there listening? Um, My advice to new parents is to stay calm. (laughs) There's going to be things that freak you out. I was a new parent at a very young age and I, I reacted on emotion and not out of uh, practicality, I guess. So, and take advice from other parents. I mean, I remember being 19 years old and not, you know, when I would lay Hunter down to go to sleep and as soon as he hit the crib, he'd start crying. So I'd pick him back up. And I felt like I couldn't put him back down so he was going to start crying. So I didn't sleep at all because I was walking around rocking a baby um, where when I was older, I learned you put the baby down and you walk out of the room. So what if they cry? It's going to be okay. And it just took a 13-year gap for me to learn that. But um, take advice from other parents. Stay calm. Your baby's going to be fine. And stick together as parents and always help each other out. Great advice. Uh, Marcus? Oh, yeah. No, the, I mean, my, one of my favorite commercials I, I've seen is when the, uh, you got the, the, the young, the couple, and, and they like, hey, 20 minutes, you want to go? And so they go into the bedroom to pull around. And then after the baby, they've had a couple of kids, they're like, hey, we got 20 minutes, you want to go? And the dude's got the CPAC machine on, passed it on top of the covers, and she's, she's passed out too because they're so worn out from having the kids, right? I mean, everything literally changes in that moment and never forget babies are tough they're resilient i i, I remember when we had acts i walked in the house with, i'll never forget this i had him in that carrier i didn't even know how to put him in the baby seat i mean i and i looked at melanie she was walking upstairs she, she just just i watched her give birth to my children i was like women are the toughest thing i've ever seen in my entire life man and i know pain and and i was sitting there with him and i was like all right buddy we're gonna get through this together man and i remember i was clean everything, I mean, just crazy, and then put it in the microwave, make sure it's sterilized, and plant for the second kids or kids, people just, like, it falls on the ground, take it off, spit on it, put it in their mouth, like, hey, die. and I've never run across a parent that didn't, didn't, it's a progression, and no matter what seasoned parents tell a new parent, you are still going to default to your own parenting regulations of what you see and what you learn, it's trial and error, okay, it, it truly is, man, and no matter what, as the, as the father, Realize that that woman, what she just went through and carried that baby and, and did all that, man. So I had diaper duty, whatever, you know, whatever I could do, man. I, I, and this, the sleepless nights, yeah, those exist, man. Just get used to them. 
I mean, you'll get into the zone, kind of going through hell. He says that, but he also told me that he was going to have night duty because he doesn't sleep well at night. And the first night we were home. All right, this happened one time, okay? Oh, no. It happened every night. The first (laughs) night that we were home, the first time Axe started crying, I look over at Marcus, and his eyes immediately shut tight. (laughs) And I'm like, that. Sorry. Uh, okay, okay, so at that age, man, the guy always, you know. He pretended to be sleeping. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> the kid's hungry. I can't really help you with that, okay? That's what the mother can't He pretended to be sleeping. He could have rubbed my back while I was feeding him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that because we always had a rule in our house when they were babies. Uh, you know, if you wake them, you shake them. You know, you got to get them back to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah it's kind of like finding the, uh, you know, the dog mess on the ground. Whoever finds it, you got to clean it up. You got the baby up. <laughs> but hey, uh, I mean, just know that as a, you know, people have been doing parenting stuff and being been parents since the beginning. Okay. And before they had hospitals and, and all that stuff and just have a great time with it. And it does go by fast. I, I noticed that man. And that before, and they are so much, I mean, when they get to that age, like six and seven, when they look at, they get their own person personalities, that's when you figure out when you're not cool anymore. As soon as your kids know the difference between cool and uncool, you're not cool anymore. And you're old and busted and all that stuff. And that's that's a great – that actually has to happen for you to go through the transitional period of being able to enforce the rules on your kids. Because in the beginning, you're like, you know, they think, you know, you're cool and they want to hang out. And then as soon as they go, hey, you're not cool, they're like, oh, check this out. If I'm not cool, check out this rule and this new chore, all right? I, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, you're gonna, I'll, I'll act like a parent if I have to. And then, you know, ask around. Ask for advice. And don't ever be ashamed or to not know anything. And don't ever be embarrassed to, to adopt something that somebody else did, does, you know, for their and, – And don't be ashamed to ask for help, for babysitting, from family or whatever. I truly believe that a mother's sanity is through breaks. And I see a lot of new moms that feel guilty for going to get their hair done or – leaving the baby to go to the grocery store by herself. Moms need that. Take breaks. Get away by yourself. Yeah, that's why you keep your family around. That's why, you you know, your mother and your grandparents, and they, that, I mean, you keep all of them around close to you, and they're a wealth of knowledge, and they love watching the kids so you can have the break. And, I mean, we, we keep everybody around us at any given time, you know. I mean, and – they pass their kids off to us, and it just kind of works. And then the kids hang out together, and they're they're being raised together as a family. And they just it's a you know it's a wealth of knowledge for them in in itself. Yeah, very well said. I love the advice. This has truly been an honor for me, guys. So I have to say thank you so much, Melanie and Marcus Latrell, for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, you appreciate it, brother. Thanks, man. All right, I'll be right back after a quick spot. Let's go, dads. It's the best time of the year to bring your kids to the ball game. And First Class Fatherhood listeners can now save $20 off their ticket purchase. The NFL is in full swing. The NBA and the NHL are now underway. Buy your tickets on SeatGeek.com and use my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. And you're going to save 20 bucks off your tickets. Nothing beats the experience of taking your kids to the game. And now you can go with an extra $20 in your pocket. Visit SeatGeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father who needs no introduction. He is a former member of SEAL Team 6, or DevGrew. He is the best-selling author of The Operator. 
And he is the man responsible for shooting and killing the most wanted person on the planet. It is with great honor and privilege that I say, Rob O'Neill, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. All right, let's do this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Uh, I have three kids, three lovely daughters. Wow, all right. I don't want I, I don't, I don't to get into their ages. This is going to be kind of a unique uh, podcast because there's a lot of stuff I can't say about my kids. So we'll just... Uh, Hey, I totally understand that, Rob. Listen, many of us take that for granted. I as well. I mean, I'm able to share my kids' moments and memories all over social media, but guys like you, you got to keep it all under wraps. Yeah, I'm I'm able to get on uh, social media, but I don't even follow my own kids just for that that simple reason. Right, wow. So it's, but there there are they are at unique ages where they're like, "Dad, if we just say who we are, we can have a reality show." <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would draw great ratings. What kind of sports are the kids into? Uh, they're into a little bit of soccer and that, to be honest, a lot of theater type stuff. Um, so they, 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 uh, one kid's into running, um, and then like the theater type singing stuff. So it's, it's uh, very unique. Okay. Are you involved in coaching at all with the kids? Like I said, it's going to be very unique because they're, they're kind of, they're hidden. Okay. And, uh, uh they're in like, they're in like a, a self-funded witness protection program. So I don't even get to show up for those things. Okay, what was the transition like as an operator going out on missions as a single guy as opposed to going out on missions as a father? Well, it was easier before the uh, the kids because there's not – I mean, you know, it's one of those things where well, if something happens to me, who cares um, type thing. Obviously, you know, for the families and stuff, you, you do care. But, but uh, yeah, w- once the kids were there, like, we, you know, I, I was on a lot of missions. My kids were, were there for most of them where the realization that not coming back is, is – is, uh, is real and um it's it, uh you know it's to take kind of a new turn that, that you want to you know you want to turn to the kids and then even like something like for the bin laden mission where we knew we weren't coming home um almost the saying goodbye type stuff because there's so much more to live for how about the children did they ever have any idea that dad might not be coming home no they didn't know anything okay okay All right, let me turn this over to one of the major topics for all parents here. Obviously, there's a rise in school shootings. What's your take on it? What do you think can be done? Are you cool with officers being put into the schools? Yeah, there's plenty of um, retired military uh, combat veterans who are capable of of arming, uh, being armed and working in schools. And the unfortunate thing that we're we're at a point now where we need to realize that these mass shootings are always done in gun-free zones, which means there's nobody armed there except the perpetrator. So um, we're, it, 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 we, you need to evolve with the times. And unfortunately right now, we need to evolve like we did after 9-11. We don't let people with certain things on planes, and it'd be like the inside of the airport becomes a secure area. As much as it sucks, we need to make the inside of the schools that kind of an area. So you need to have... Um, places where there, you know, uh, you can obviously do emergency exits, but there's only one or two ways in. You need metal detectors and armed guards. And that's just simply the way it is. Um, that's one way to do it. And then it also what needs to be addressed is the type of culture we've evolved into with uh, the Internet that's made us um, so intimately close with so much stuff out there. The culture is the culture of violence. So we need to address the bullying. A lot of shooters come in because of bullying, uh, um, What's the one in Colorado? That, that, that was the Columbine. Columbine. That's because they were bullied. Uh, and the teachers need to step up. Armed guards need to step up. And the students need to step up. Um, it's, it's, it's a shame that kids need to – it's a shame that I need to talk to my daughters about active shooters and what to do if and when and how it happens. And it's just um, – there's a lot of – simply saying, hey, we're going to take your guns away is not going to work. We need to be realistic and smart. 
All right, how do you handle social media with your kids and all the dangers that come with that? Again, it's very, very difficult for me because we're not following each other and we don't live in the same places. Um, I just I try to be realistic with them. I'm very fortunate because my kids grew up really quickly dealing with a lot of stuff that I dealt with and then the, the, the public exposure and the high-profile missions. Um, but, but what I need to you know, tell them is, is, is try, try as best you can to avoid the negativity, even though that's very difficult because the Internet and social media are very, very negative places. But I also really request that they be honest with me. If you see something that if, if you see something that you wouldn't be comfortable with seeing when I'm standing right there, you should probably tell me about it and we can work through it. And honesty is honesty is never going to get you in trouble. So just uh, if you see something bad or you, you, you see something negative or something that affects you, I want you to tell me about it. And we're going to talk through it. And there's and again, as a, as a father, there's no reason to punish a kid um, for coming forth with issues that concern them because you know the kids are growing up a lot faster now than they 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 were when i was growing up in like the 80s yeah hey i'm an 80s kid myself and and i struggle sometimes uh you know to to keep up with the quick moving pace of it all but I'm, i'm trying my best here all right how about video games and the violence of video games and movies how do you handle that with your children uh, yeah, I mean, we're fortunate there because my the video games we, we play are like uh, Mario Kart and stuff like that. They're not into um, the, the, the violent the games active or... shooter and the violent games. So I'm very fortunate with that part. And then with the movies, um, and I hope that, you know, again, you don't know what you're necessarily what your kids are doing when you're not around. But um, we're not really into the graphic violent type movies. We're, we're, we're more into the comedy type stuff, too. And I'd, I would I'd actually much rather have a child. Um, here, you know, if it's going to be something to an extreme here, like a, 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 a curse word or the F bomb in a comedy, then deal with the, you know, the guy jumping to the glass after an explosion and murdering people. Well said, well said, Rob. All right. How about guns and gun safety? Did you introduce guns at an early age to your children? Again, unfortunately, I've had to teach them how to use guns. And, and I think that's important with a lot of kids is, is the, the best way to, to uh, avoid um, a catastrophe, uh, you know, other than keeping it under a lock and key in a safe, is to show them what it is, where it is, how it's used, and why. You know, you don't don't, don't be showing your friends if you if you need to understand how the gun works. Come to me, and I'll t- I'll show you. And there's nothing wrong with teaching kids how to use guns. I think the the problems and the incidents and the accidents come with teaching not teaching kids how to use guns because uh, you know if, if all they know is a simple toy gun, just pull the trigger, point at your friend. And they stumble upon a real gun that they don't necessarily know is real. That's where the issues come in. So, again, it all resorts back to honesty. Okay. Are you planning on or would you consider having more children? Well, um, I don't know yet. I'm on my second marriage. I did get divorced after I left the Navy and I just got married in uh, August. So, yes, I think I would like to. All right. All right. I like to hear that. What kind of advice could you give the new dads that are listening or the about-to-be fathers? Advice I would give new fathers is don't expect any sleep for the first two years. Right on um, with that. But also um, <laughs> the realization that your wife is working her butt off and maybe once in a while just let her take a nap and take, take it over. It, it was funny because some of the – when I was married, my first, my first marriage when I was in the Navy, um, deploying overseas, going to combat, then coming back, I would let my wife – have like a girl's weekend. So you go out and I'll keep the kids. I actually realized it's easier to go to combat than it is to be a single parent. Yeah. You don't got to tell me I, I've been left with the four of them. It's a fend for myself here. And sometimes I, I give my wife all the credit in the world. Oh, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's like, you know, at least at, at war, there are rules. <laughs> I don't know what this kid's doing right now. 
Are you still getting after it at the gun range or do you fire more tweets than bullets nowadays? Oh, I, I don't, I, I'm tweeting more, more and more just out of fun. It's, you know, the hard thing too, which I um, would tell kids and young parents too, is ease up on the political correctness because some of us are just joking. Take a rap off. Don't be offended by everything. Come on. Yeah. It seems like the terminology has gotten. So I talk about this all the time. Like we can't even say our kids are hanging out anymore. They're having a play date and stuff like that. It drives me up a wall. Nuts? It's like, come on. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, it's same thing with the whole every kid gets a trophy, but it seems like enough dads that I, since I started this podcast, the majority of fathers that connect with me are sick and tired of that philosophy. Well, yeah, the problem is the media is not, and the media is doing a certain thing, and they're the loudest voices. Up in, you know, I mean, there's, there's certain social media platforms where people can get the real word out, but yeah, they, they, yeah, every, everyone doesn't deserve a trophy. If, if we're keeping score, why don't we win? And if we're playing, why don't we keep score? And why don't we try to win? And, and you know what a good life lesson is? If, if you're not good enough to make the team, you shouldn't make the team. Try harder, do it next year. That's how you learn. You don't, you don't learn from being told you're great. You learn from failing. You learn from setbacks. That's how, that's how life works. Yeah, that's one thing I love about your whole community is that, that mental attitude right there. Uh, I'm trying to lead the way for my kids. I mean, this is, they all want to be YouTubers, and I kind of tried to set the bar here with this little podcast. And now, hey, I'm talking to the guy that shot Bin Laden. So it worst comes to worst here. At least I got a little street credit with the kids to say, hey, guys, who had the number one podcast here? That's funny. That's true. Well, and, and again, too, the, the reason that I was able to be in a position to shoot Bin Laden was because I was with a team of guys who had busted their butts to get to that position, who would, who would always, you know, kept the positivity flowing, move forward, get over it, take your setbacks. The team was there because we went through a selection process. It's not because you know, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't pick a certain type of person for this. It was the person who got there based on success, period. And that was the entire team to include the pilots, to include the air crew, to include the, the analysts that found Osama bin Laden. And I was just there simply because I was fortunate enough to work hard enough to get in that position, to be on that team with those people. And that's what it is. N- none of, none of the, the men and women involved with the Bin Laden raid were ever handed a trophy. Yeah, the whole story is, is so inspiring, man. Uh, all right, listen, given what you know now, how would you feel about your kids joining the military? Well, I've talked about this with them quite a bit, and what, what I tell them always is if you decide to join the military, obviously I'll support you. But I would recommend getting straight A's starting right now and then get a, get um, accepted to one of the military academies, and then fly something. Okay, cool. That's just good advice right there, because that's got uh, all kinds of opportunities afterwards, too. All right, obviously, The Operator, best-selling book. I blew right through it in a couple of days. Do you have any other writing projects or any books coming up that we could be looking forward to? Well, I'm working on a couple things right now, and I, I th- um, it's more of a what-do-you-do-next type thing, the realization that life is a life is an experience is a a set of experiences based on being in bubbles. Um, When you're in high school, that's the most important thing in your life. That's all you know is high school. That's all you care about is high school. And then high school ends. And then you go to college and college is the most important thing ever. And then college ends. And like for me, the military, I'm a Navy SEAL. Um, It ends. I'm not a Navy SEAL anymore. I'm a former Navy SEAL. What next? What do we do next? Everyone's always got the what next. Yeah. So um, it's that, um, you know, life is short, but it's also long, and I'm as old as I've ever been, but I'm also as young as I'll ever be. So what do we do now? What next? I'm kind of working on that sort of thing. You know, nothing in writing it, but that's where my head is. Yeah, hey, Rob. I mean, honestly, you, you really seem like a natural at this stuff. It seems like it comes pretty easy to you. You're a big presence on social media. It's awesome the way you engage with so many people. And I see you on TV all the time. you got that charisma about you, and you're very well-spoken. You didn't, 
You didn't mention that I also have a great face for radio. Hey, Rob, it doesn't look half as bad as Osama bin Laden's looks. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, listen, if I, if I were you, I don't know if I would start any other sentence, but, yeah, I shot bin Laden. So I give you a lot of credit for, you know, I don't know how you kept that in for so long. Well, it's it, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, like I mentioned before, yes, I shot bin Laden, but I didn't get there by myself. And it's the people, the, the heroism before me that got me into that position that, that, that uh, I think people need to know about. A lot of these guys are at retirement age. And, and again, fathers. They have kids too, uh, but they're getting out now. They're realizing what you know. What next? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping we hear some of their stories because I was by no means the most brave person on that mission. The, like the, the pilots that crash landed, that saved everyone's lives. Those are the stories that need yeah, to be told. Listen, Rob, if it was up to me, it would be mandatory that the minute you retire from the SEAL teams, you have to write your autobiography. That's the way I would want <laughs> it to be. I, I, I love I, when you guys come I, out with the books. I'm happy when a lot of guys do that. There's very there's a lot of amazing stories out there. A lot of guys are concerned with the safety aspect, so they're never going to come forth. But I assure you, there was I've seen a lot of heroes in a lot of different places. Yeah, and we definitely need those stories right now. And those movies, we need them. We, we, we really do as a country. We really do. And, and I just... Uh, I love the fact that uh, that you're on your second marriage here. You're considering having more children. I just think family values need to take center fold in this country. And, I, I, you know, I'm just uh... that is that is one of the reasons there's a lot of problems is because of the uh, uh, the, the, the family values are falling apart. And, um, you know, if, if, if a lot of kids growing up without fathers, that's an issue that that leads to a lot of the violence that leads to more violence. And and and. It's, it's, it's a shame that we're, that we're there, but the, the, the family values are important, and, and a lot of people are trying to take, break them down. I don't, I don't think they should. I, I mean, there's, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult, and, and you know, no one understands what someone else is going through. But uh, having a fa- people that grow up with a with a, with a family intact, uh, they, they tend to be more successful. Okay, do you have anything else to add here before I wrap this up? No, this is great, and I, you know, again, I apologize too for not being able to get too in depth with my kids, simply because of the security reason. But, but. Um, um no it's been it's been great talking with you we should probably do it again hey rob that's music to my ears pal uh, listen i cannot say thank you enough uh for taking the time out of your day to give me a few moments here on first class fatherhood and listen i don't speak for myself i speak for a lot of people when i say thank you for shooting that bastard in the face <laughs> he had a coming and believe me, i'm here in new york right now and i run into people every day that tell me different stories about how thankful they are and again just uh thanks to everyone that would put me in the position to get in that position and uh he did have it coming okay rob o'neill everybody thank you for giving me a few moments of your time here on first class fatherhood very cool thank you all right we'll be right back after a quick spot Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I just want to say a special thank you to all of our military veterans out there. I am so proud to be an American, and I am so thankful for your service. Tomorrow we're going to return to our regular scheduled program here. This has been First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for listening. I'm Alec Lace. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are First Class Fathers. Tall as a tree, but it's all feeling so.